and welcome to another Corrin stream. I am your host, Joe Magician, and today we'll be talking about the undead Revenant Catelyn Stark and the recent news surrounding why she was cut from the wildly successful Throne show. The reveal in the Storm of Swords epilogue that Catelyn Stark has returned from the dead and taken over the Brotherhood Without Banners is one of the true shocks of A Song of Ice and Fire. When she lowers her hood and Merritt Frey recognizes Lady Stoneheart as the woman whose corpse he saw thrown into the river, Merritt and the audience are taken aback. Her role in The Winds of Winter is one of those most shrouded in mystery and exciting for book fans, who were taken aback, to say the least, when Game of Thrones decided to cut Lady Stoneheart entirely and instead send Jamie to Dorne and Bran to fight Sandor Clegane and then some other things. Yeah, that, wasn't, that was not the best. Uh, recently, a news... Uh, recently, uh, Recently, a new report from James Hibbard's upcoming book revealed some reasons why David Benioff and D.B. Weiss made that decision. And joining me today to talk about all this, I've recruited reporter Michelle Jaworski of The Daily Dot, who covered Game of Thrones quite extensively. Hello, Michelle. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. Uh, for those who don't know me, uh, obviously, my name is Michelle. Um, I've been writing about or have been writing about Game of Thrones, uh, not so much these days since Clay, uh, when everyone uh, who had read the books in, um, you know, Song of Ice and Fire subreddit, as well as the Game of Thrones one decided, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna record our friends who only know about the show and they don't know this is coming and mm -hmm. let's see the magic that comes out of that. <laughs> and it's been a ride um, to the, uh, the Barclay Center screening um, for before season four started. Romans for a few years, so you know if anybody had ever gone to any of the panels that I was on, uh -huh. uh, I've interviewed some members of the cast. You know, followed the show all the way to its very decisive end. And uh, <laughs> I don't cover Game of Thrones as much these days, but um, anticipating the book whenever that decides to come out. Um, take a try, George. Yeah. Well, he's he is taking his time up in his the, uh, mountain thing. <laughs> working in quarantine. Sure. So, like, if he's just not inspired right now, I totally get it. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough time. Um, also, Michelle was, um, if you guys know Joanna Robinson or Kim Renfro or Loris, Lauren Sarner of the New York Post, Michelle is, you know, what she did was very similar to them. Sort of uh, writing reviews and interviews and all that other kind of stuff, so. Yeah, really great to have you here, Michelle, especially because she knows a lot more about like the production of Game of Thrones and like interactions with those people than I do. Like I tended to sort of go the book lore, just paying attention what's on the screen way, um, whereas she is much more familiar with, we'll say David Benioff and D.B. Weiss than I am. <laughs> um, so make sure you like subscribe comment hit that bell button if you want to get notifications as i've said many times before the youtube algorithm cares quite a lot about those things um for recommending my recommending my content and i very much appreciate when you all do so you know every little bit helps also wanted to say thank you to my newest patrons uh lemmy b and wolfman zach for signing up actually i saw lemmy b in the chat earlier uh actually i think he subscribed to patreon during the last stream and then I tried to do math and failed doing that. Uh, Wolfman Zach uh, has the distinction of being the 69th patron, as we say to nice. him. Nice. 
Way to go, way to go, Zach. Uh, and also Eric Foreg, the frequent question asker from Patreon, who decided to become an Archmaster and has received his mask and rod. Not sure on the medal yet, but you know. And um, as per usual, at 150 likes, I got the wizard hat right there ready to go. And 175 likes, then I'll put on my fancy germ hat for the rest of the stream. It's a real treat for all of us. Um, <laughs> so with all that out of the way, um, yeah, what we're planning on doing today is we're going to do a little bit of background on Lady Stoneheart, who she is in the books, how she came about, what she's been doing, what her role is in the Winds of Winter, and then, you know, we'll talk about the curious decision to cut one of the things from the show that a lot, a lot, a lot of people were looking forward to. Um, and for that, we have an opening quote here. I'm going to go ahead and read this one. This is from the Storm of Swords um, epilogue, Merit Frey, his interactions with Lady Stoneheart and realizing who she is. All right, who's ready for <clears throat> my awesome reading voice? I know I am. The outlaws parted as she came forward, saying no word. When she lowered her hood, something tightened inside Merritt's chest, and for a moment, he could not breathe. No, no, I saw her die. She was dead for a day and a night before they stripped her naked and threw her body in the river. Raymond opened her throat from ear to ear. She was dead. Her cloak and collar hid the gash his brother's blade had made. But her face was even worse than he remembered. The flesh had gone soft pudding. The flesh had gone pudding soft in the water and turned the color of curdled milk. Half her hair was gone and the rest was turned white and brittle as a crone's. Beneath her ravaged scalp, her face was shredded skin and black blood where she had raked herself with her nails. But her eyes were the most terrible thing. Her eyes saw him and they hated. She don't speak, said the big man in the yellow cloak. You bloody bastards cut our throat too deep for that. But she remembers. Oh, I always get chills at that one. Didn't you like reading that back? Yeah. And I went last night um, and opened my copy of Storm of Swords. And it, it had been a couple of years since I'd done that. And I was like, fuck, this is good. <laughs> like really excellent horror writing right there. The way that Merritt is in denial, the description of what she looks like, the hatred, how he's about to be hanged, all those kind of things. It's like, mwah. Perfect, George. I'm glad you remembered you were a horror writer for this one. <laughs> like, maybe, maybe I can, like, work my way out of this one. Maybe up until he sees her and he's like, nope, nope, I'm a dead man. I'm a dead man. <laughs> they, yeah, that was the kind of the weird thing about that. They kept joking back and forth. It's like, uh, we're going to kill you. All right, maybe we won't if you answer the right questions. All right, we're definitely going to kill you. And he's, he's scrambling, but he's not really sure until he sees her. And she's just like, all right, um, I am fucking dead. That, that's it. That's... <laughs> This is it for me. When you see the undead Catelyn Stark staring at you, it's like, that's game over, man. Um, so what I wanted to do first was go into the background and kind of creation of who is Lady Stoneheart and why is she even a character? And it starts, of course, with the uh, Red Wedding. After the slitting of the throat of Aegon, quote unquote, Jin uh, Jingle Bell Frey, um, as Merritt said, Catelyn got her throat cut by Sir Raymond Frey. And in one of the most heartbreaking scenes, the Red Weddings, obviously, like as you were talking about, one of the things that book and show fans can agree is one of the hardest things to read. And at the end of it, he also noticed that she clawed her eyes out or tried to in grief after seeing Rob Stark die. And it sort of just leaves there. Like we, we cut off there and we go to Arya uh, with Sandra Clegane running away and we sort of hear the aftermath from King's Landing, but it's not really... Um, talked about what happened to her body or even the, the closest we get is there's that um, 
I'm not actually sure. Is this the show only thing that Joffrey asked for Rob's head? I think it's show only, right? Uh, I think so. Just because they wanted to make sure you hated Joffrey even more. <laughs> like, as if that was possible. Him off and, like, let's just like stick the knife in there one more time. <laughs> Really make sure everyone hates Joffrey in that moment. Uh, but yeah, that, that's about all we know. But we piece together from chapters in mostly in A Feast for Crows uh, and obviously Merit Phrase that what happened was Catelyn along with a lot of the bodies were actually thrown into the Green Fork River. Uh, Catelyn herself was for some reason stripped naked. I'm not really sure why about that one. Um, and there's... The cruelty is the point. I guess the cruelty is the point. Like she was already long dead. They had apparently set her aside and were like looking like, haha, we got Catelyn Stark owned, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and the, I guess it's like a practical concern. Like you have thousands of bodies from the aftermath of the Red Wedding. What are you going to do with them? They're definitely not going to put in the effort to um, to bury them. It's like, <laughs> I guess throwing them in the river. Burning them would have been like, uh, at, at least from my perspective, like the kind of logical thing to do because you get them all in place you, you torch it up they're gone whereas you know when you toss them on the river and then you just have the bodies kind of making that water like just not drinkable for humans it just seems like well they don't care about anybody around them hmm. yeah that's a good point they just kind of especially because the green fork flows down to the trident mm -hmm. they're just like poisoning the water for all their neighbors so yeah the the phrase essentially we're going to rely on the wildlife to eat the bodies for them to get rid of them because the phrase are cruel and lazy and don't give a shit about anybody else unfortunately the wildlife that turned up to eat it were mostly wolves and in particular one wolf pack a very special wolf pack Chekhov's wolf pack as it is sometimes called uh we see this from aria's perspective as she is warging nymeria in her sleep her and her army of dire of wolves have found this amazing feast of waterlogged bodies and gone to show up. And we get one of the weirder things that I've seen in the sh in the books. And I didn't really think about it before when I was rereading last night. And it's that somehow Nymeria smells Catelyn's body, which isn't even in view, and then goes and finds it. What what the hell's going on? <laughs> How does that work? Nymeria grew up at Winterfell for a little bit, so she might have been familiar that way, even before you consider the warging of it all. Yeah. I was like she was... might have known, like, okay, like, you know, if they had put Rob's body along with them, you know, instead of making a mockery of it, um, then, you know, it's possible that if that was, is the explanation for, mm. um, you know, Nymeria being able to recognize the scent of her body, mm. then that could be one way of looking at it. Obviously there's the warging and then you have this connection between sure. Arya and, you know, Nymeria and Catelyn. So, you know, it could do a little wolfness and then a little like, you know, magic. I, I was wondering more on the magic end, because if you, if I'm going to, I have the quote right here, I'm just going to read it. It's, mm -hmm. it's not only that she, Arya falls asleep thinking of Catelyn's smell, then wakes up in Nymeria and goes, Oh, I smell the same thing. But Catelyn's been in the water for, a few days at that point just like floating down been dead for a few days so either like George has given the direwolves really super senses which maybe he has because they're literal fantasy monsters essentially but you know <laughs> it, could, it could go the other way that they're you're supposed to see maybe a little bit of magic going on here and the quote goes the night she went to sleep thinking of her mother and wondering if she should kill the hound in his sleep and rescue lady catlin herself when she closed her eyes 
She saw her mother's face against the back of her eyelids. She's so close, I could almost smell her. And then she could smell her. The scent was, the scent was faint beneath the other smells, beneath moss and mud and water, the stench of rotting reeds and rotting men. She padded slowly through the soft ground to the river's edge, lapped up a drink, then lifted her head to sniff. The sky was gray and thick with cloud, the river green and full of floating things. Oh, Nymeria floating things. Dead men clogged the, shad clogged the shallows, some still moving as the water pushed them, others washed up on the banks. Her brothers and sisters swarmed around them, tearing at the rich, ripe flesh. And then, um, essentially, Nymeria finds Catelyn among this mass of bodies, swims out, grabs her, pulls her onto the shore, and then defends the body. Uh, you can see that as Arya essentially taking over, kind of like we see with uh, Bran, where he tries to tell Grey Wind to climb a tree, and the wolf's like, I'm not a squirrel. I, I can't climb trees. <laughs> But the same thing happens here, where Arya saves her mother's body, and then essentially abandons it when she hears a bunch of dudes riding up on horses. Very strange. Um, yeah, and that... Especially the, the way they did it so gently. So grabs the arm, swims back, and then it's like, we learn later that, of course, the, the men that ride up are actually the Brotherhood Without Banners. But there's some foreshadowing here that I wanted to go over before we talked about literally Lady Stoneheart coming back to life. And the big one is the, um, the ghost of High Heart. You want to give that one a read? Yeah, she uh, said, um, I dreamt of a roaring river and a woman that was a fish. Dead she drifted with red tears on her cheeks. But when her eyes did open, oh, I woke from terror. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty on the nose for what George was planning for her. I mean, the woman uh, who was a fish, obviously Cat is a Tully. Their sigil is the fish or the trout or whatever. Um, I always like the idea specifically that the ghost of high heart sees a lot of terrible things. She sees a lot of scary things, but this one, when she saw Lady Stoneheart coming back to life, that's the thing that scared her the most. And I, I always wondered about that. Like she sees awful, awful things. She sees the red wedding coming. She sees the purple wedding. She like, what is George planning to do with Lady Stoneheart that the ghost of high hearts like, I'm out. This is too much for me. Yeah, and she, um, when, I, I believe when Arya um, comes to meet the ghost of High Heart, she's uh, still traveling with Beric Dondarrion, who mm -hmm. has come back to life a uh, number of times. So, like, she's at least, like, in proximity of, of someone who had been resurrected, you mm -hmm. know, by Roller and, you know, Red Priest. So, and he, he didn't, you know, as far as we know, inspire that kind of, of terror that Lady Stoneheart is. No, he should, she just kind of made fun of him for being undead. <laughs> she's like, oh, yeah, she's hot. okay with dead, like undead people. Okay with like, yeah, you know, a song of ice and fire zombies. Yeah, um, but th but this one is too much. It's it's it almost makes me wonder if it's something personal because the ghost of High Heart, the High Heart, is in the Riverlands where Lady Stoneheart is um, obviously operating later. So it makes me wonder if somehow they're going to interact uh somebody i was talking about nessie i was talking with nessie um the questing beast and my patron slack and we were talking about that like what if they did interact what would what would the ghost of high heart think about with her nightmare coming to see her or maybe she has already i mean we know the brotherhood without banners is a group that has often gone to see the ghost of high heart under barrack maybe they still do that and maybe it hasn't gone that well for the ghost because 
Stoneheart is much crueler than uh, Beric Dondarrion, to say the least. Uh, somebody in the chat, Guilty Undertaker, also noted that Ghost of Highheart is also scared of Arya. So there's something about Arya and Kat that is freaking this little woman with her, this little old woman with her dreams way the fuck out. Something, something interesting from George on where they're going. Um, the other big quote, this is one from a Game of Thrones, and um, this is from Kat, and she says, We learned that to our sorrow, Sir Donald, Catelyn said. Sometimes she felt as though her heart had turned to stone. Six brave men had died to bring her this far, and she could not even find it in it to weep for them. Even their names were fading. Now this is part of the, um, part of George's pitch letter. The original one that only surfaced a few years ago, as we were talking about before the stream. Kind of surprising it took this long, but basically Catelyn in the original outline was supposed to go beyond the wall and die. There's a lot of, and maybe be resurrected by the others. There's a lot of foreshadowing that in the original book that George then changes as we get to these later books that he's decided, well, she's still going to die. She's still going to come back to life, but it's specifically um, in the Riverlands instead of interacting with the others in any way. Yeah, and instead of being resurrected by, you know, ice, mm -hmm. if that was the case, had she died beyond the wall and you now have it resurrection by fire, which at this point hadn't gone you know, had to like penetrate beyond the wall, mm -hmm. like up north. It's it's old magic. It, it's all of the old gods' territory. Whereas you have these newer gods that are still like slowly, like you know, working their way through you know Westeros, through Thoros and Melisandre mm -hmm. to an extent. You know, like the new new gods to, sure. to an extent. It's interesting that, um, what you just said about how he decided to raise her by fire instead of ice, and that sort of sets her up. Um, I mean, John. We assume we assume John's going to be raised through fire magic through through Melisandre, but the um, that he initially intended her resurrection to maybe be more antagonistic to the rest of the characters. That the ice connection aligning with the others, being a servant of them, rather than it's not really sure what Catelyn's a servant of now. It just sort of seems like vengeance, but she's sort of on their side, the Stark side, right? But like maybe I don't know. <laughs> I think it really depends what would happen, um, you know, if somewhere along the line she encountered one of her children again, mm -hmm. um, because, you know, as I'm sure we'll get into in a bit, you know, her her morals and her way of viewing things, it's all black and white. Whereas, you know, it's like, oh, if you were even associated with the Lannisters at one point, then like, nope, nope, you're dead. Um, <laughs> hung. So hung from a tree. Yep. Yeah. So, so like if. If she finds out, you know, like what Sansa's been up to, and and that sort of thing, you know, is is Sansa going to be corrupted, mm. uh, you know, enough for Catelyn to maybe maybe like not include her own daughter in that anymore? Yeah. Or you know, if she, she finds out like Arya was there, she saw it, but you know, she didn't do anything to stop it, which you know, like nobody would expect her to because she's a child, and her and the Hound would have died if they had tried. Sure. But, you know, again, it's that very strict sense of morals that Lady Stoneheart has. Is she going to corrupt or not corrupt? Is she going to account for that? Is she is that going to be acceptable for her? You know, we don't know, because, again, this is a whole bunch of what ifs. Yeah. Big what ifs. Interesting what ifs. A shame. A shame we didn't get them. Uh, so then we get to her literally returning from the dead. And even among the resurrections we've seen, this one's pretty unique. Uh, so Thoros of Mir, we see him in the Hollow Hill base of the Brotherhood. He's talking to Brienne, and he explains essentially what has happened to her. 
Uh, the quote goes, She is, said Thoros of Mir. The phrase slashed her throat from ear to ear. When we found her body, she was three days dead. Harwin begged me to give her the kiss of life, but it had been too long. I would not do it. So Lord Beric put his lips to hers instead. Gross. And the flame of life passed from him to her. And she rose. May the Lord of Light protect us. She rose. What do you make? What do you make of this resurrection by, uh, by Catelyn? Um, it's, it's very creepy the way it's described. Um, mm. because we see when Thoros brings back Beric, he, you know, and in the show, you know, he, he puts his hand to him and it's like, everything seems more or less okay. It's like, you know, Beric wakes up, he loses some more of his humanity, but alive. And, but thing. Um, you know, the Lord of Light is an acceptable passing of, of this particular gift. Mm -hmm. um, but that he, you know, that, that Catalan is just so, so corrupted by, you know, the three days that she was dead. You know, then you got a little, like, biblical imagery there of somebody coming back after mm -hmm. being dead for three days. Um, but then again, you know, whereas, you know, biblically, like, that's seen as a good thing and they're like oh like christ is risen again here it's it's just everything's just wrong <laughs> yes i think Me, it's you know, whether because oh, uh sorry whether it's because you know if what john said about you know being dead in the show is like that there's nothing if that is true for you know in, in the books as well and then you know catlin's just been in that place for three you know human days mm -hmm. Like, who knows what that does to a person? Not good things, it seems like. It doesn't seem like it has improved her. Um, the Speeded Lands are Amanda in the chat. She also noted that Patchface was gone for three days in the water. Um, that's mm -hmm. a, a great connection, Amanda, as you always have them. Um, I also find it interesting that Thoros, he, when he talks about Beric and how he brought him back, he says that he basically has no power in it, but it's sort of a thing he does out of love. He brought back Beric because they were really good friends, and he was sorry to see him. When Catelyn rises, he he says the Lord of Light protect us, meaning that he thinks that her resurrection was almost unholy, that it's wrong. There's something very off about it. Uh, we see here that it's actually Harwin, good old Harwin. He's the reason Catelyn came back from the dead, that he begged <laughs> Beric, he begged Thoros and Beric to bring her back from the dead. It's curious, this cannot be the first time anybody's asked Thoros and Beric to bring back somebody they knew. And... Previously, it appears that they refused, except for Beric himself, but this time, they do refuse. Thoros says, it has been too long, and I don't, I don't even really know what that means. Is there something in his teaching that told him, oh, well, you can only give the kiss of life after six hours, after six hours, then they turn insane and become like an undead golem of death? Like, I, he doesn't really explain it. We can infer from maybe Patchface catlin that it does something to the soul to be that like you were talking about that long in the void of death which is what george seems to think happens um but it's Beric that gives the kiss of life this time and it's not only that he gives it it kills him which does not happen to thoros thoros is absolutely fine every time he's brought back Beric, what like six or seven times and he's just like hey you know it's good i'm glad i have my friend back i don't feel any worse for wear but for some reason, bring back Stoneheart kills Beric dead. It actually caused this this really weird rumor that happens that um that Stoneheart and Beric are a couple. 
I don't I don't know about that one. Maybe it's just like somebody telling the story of him kissing her and her coming back to life and like an inversion yeah. of like a like a frog prince kind of thing. But it's mm-hmm. it's a very strange scenario where I th- I think like you were saying, it tells you that w- while Barrick was brought back to life out of love, whatever brought Catelyn back was not that. And it was and she's born from death itself. Yeah. And then you have. um like when whenever Barrett comes back, you know, by Thor's mirror, mm-hmm. he's like on borrowed time, like borrowed life. So, you know, whereas Thoros is he's wholly alive. You know, he's he's doing his thing. And, you know, so him bringing Barrett back, it isn't going to, as far as we know, kill him all that much. Mm-hmm. You know, he's more or less fine, whereas Thor or another so Barrett doesn't have enough life in him because he's on this borrowed like flame that he can pass it along and still be able to live uh you know as far as that Mm -hmm. goes um you know do you think maybe um you know the original or like part of barrack's whole thing was being loyal to ned could be does that maybe have something to do with bringing her back that she could continue like getting you know revenge for ned but then she like managed to corrupt it to be like just be very strict about you know if you betrayed the starks you're Mm -hmm. dead if you had any association or any positive interactions <laughs> with anybody who betrayed the Starks, you're dead. I guess so. It's it's really unclear why Beric did this, if he even knew it would kill him. It's also unclear why Thoros didn't see Beric drop and just smooch him again and bring him back. <laughs> you know, like, he's brought him back from anything else. Why is this the one that Beric Dondarrion cannot come back from? He's been stabbed. He's been hung. He's been cut in half, basically, by Sandor. But giving away his life for Catelyn is apparently the final death for him. Don't really know why. Um, Thoros doesn't talk about it. Maybe we'll hear about that in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm picturing it kind of, you know, if you have like a lamp, like with a flame on it, you can, mm-hmm. you know, one of those old gas lamps and you can turn it like to control the flame. So whenever uh, Beric dies, it's like at the lowest possible setting, like there's a tiny, tiny flame, like not enough to, you know, for him to be able to do anything because he's like dead mm-hmm. and then when Thoros you know brings him back it turns the flame up whereas him transferring it to Lady Stoneheart like the flame is out there's no more gas he's gone sure George <laughs> no, no that that's just me I'm just like, no no I, I, I think that makes sense it's also like whatever whatever he wants his fantasy thing to be however he imagines it sure if that's what like mm-hmm. uh Stannis talks about that or Melisandre when um she makes shadow babies she draws off his life flyer life fire so something like mm-hmm. that uh we also hear that stoneheart comes back from the dead and she can't speak anymore and this is one of those curious things where again when bear comes back from the dead a lot of his injuries are kind of healed i mean he kind of looks really shitty when we see him from mm-hmm. uh not all of the damage is healed but stoneheart basically got none um, her throat has been slashed through to her windpipe so she actually can't speak unless she holds her hand across her neck and even then only Harwin can understand her not really sure why Harwin can um maybe just because he knows her they've been she's known he's known her since he was little so perhaps that's why um also she looks like a corpse at this point um unlike Barak who sometimes could pass her being alive there's no looking at Stoneheart and thinking like this is anything but a zombie she literally looks yeah. like a zombie which is yeah, and the whole thing hmm. is you know, I mean, with the exception of, like, Beric's eye, you know, he has, he has the, like, the patch over it, um, you know, and 
our understanding of John in the show is like the wounds are there, but un- unlike Stoneheart, like most of them are, you can cover them with clothes or armor, or, you know, mm-hmm. or both. Um, whereas like with, with Stoneheart, like those wounds are in your face. Her throat is, is yeah. gone and shredded. And, you know, when she like clawed her, her face before she died, like that's still there. And, you know, even just the, the whole part where she was in the water and her body was rotting for several days. Yeah. None, you know, of, none of that like, healed. Literally none. Fire magic can fix that. Apparently not with this. In this case, fire magic neglected to make her anywhere close to a human again. And you can imagine if you think about that from Catelyn's perspective, um, just that just really drives home what a cursed existence she is. Where like Beric and Thoros, they talked at length about like, well, Thoros, I mean, Beric was event, was losing parts of his life and like some things had lost their thrill for him at that point, especially since like he didn't need to eat or sleep anymore. He's becoming like really unhuman, but that's over time. Catelyn starts off right there. She comes mm-hmm. back and she knows that whatever she is, is wrong and sort of seems to almost lean into it. And she's like, all right, well, I look like a monster, so I guess maybe I'll just start acting like one. Mm-hmm. Um, especially since there's no chance of her reclaiming her old life, like not even a little bit. Like Beric is sort of hidden in the fact that a lot of his deaths were like in the midst of battle or like in little villages. And they're like, well, he just escaped that time when no, he actually, you know, bit it. Yeah. And then they brought him back. Everyone knows Catelyn Stark is dead. There's no coming back for her. Yeah, there are hundreds and hundreds of witnesses like who were there and then saw the whole thing. So it's kind of hard to to be like, no, she just got away. (laughs) No, that's not how that works. Meanwhile, everyone's like, hey, there's a giant hole in your throat and you're you're breathing. No, you're not breathing. What are you doing? How are you alive? What's going on here? It asks a lot of questions, (laughs) basically, about her existence. Um, And Mm -hmm. After this, we see after Beric's death that Catelyn takes control of the Brotherhood, but like kind of, sort of, she sort of does. She essentially takes half the Brotherhood without banners. Um, the men we see in A Feast for Crow, so that's like Len Lemoncloak and um, and Thomas Seven and a lot of those guys. But uh, half of them just flat out leave Catelyn and the Brotherhood without banners to do their own thing. We see that with like uh, Angai and er- Edric Dane and the Mad Huntsman. And it seems to be that the splintering was that the original idea behind the Brotherhood Without Banners, like you were talking about, is they were kingsmen, basically. They were trying to honor Robert and Ned, and they were trying to bring justice to the Riverlands, protect the small folk from every asshole soldier that was going through and doing awful things. And Catelyn has changed that mission to instead full vengeance. She just wants to kill Every Frey, every Lannister, every Bolton, anyone remotely connected with the um, the Red Wedding. And it's far more an idea of like extermination than justice, I would say. And there's actually a good quote here. Do you want to read this one from Thoros? Justice. Thoros smiled wittingly. I remember justice. It had a pleasant taste. Justice was what we were about when Beric led us, or so we told ourselves. We were king's men, knights and heroes. But some nights are dark and full of terror, my lady. War makes monsters of us all. Yeah, that's um, that's a pretty telling quote. And it's interesting that Thoros stuck with Catelyn, maybe out of loyalty to Beric, because he seems pretty unhappy with the turn the Brotherhood has taken. Like, um, you can, he just sort of explains it. He's like, 
I don't even recognize the group anymore. I don't even know what our purpose is anymore, except just hanging people. Like they're just executioners at this point. Yeah, like you could have someone who's a complete monster and terrorizing the small folk, but if he's not associated with the Red Wedding, then you, you know, would Lady Stillhearted be, you know, care about him at all? Probably not, at least, you know, from what the interactions of, you know, what Thoros and the, uh, and the remaining uh, Brotherhood Without Banners mm-hmm. um, and have, have indicated or what Brienne has been told about it. Um, kind of reminds me know, of the Mountains, man. Something, and something uh, Isabel brought up before is I, I sometimes oh. wonder if Arwen isn't making things up, she says. Oh. And if that is so brain dead, she doesn't really know what's going on other than recognizing people she hates. Mm. Um, you know, with the, the few times or like, the, you know, we actually see Catelyn or Lady Stoneheart attempt to speak. It's like so low that mm-hmm. like barely anyone's able to understand. So Harwin have uh, ulterior motives. I don't know. It's it's um, I mean, surely he's a Northman. He would feel the um, the pain of the Red Wedding, just like Catelyn would. There were a lot of his friends, people he knew died there. Um, she does seem to, well, she makes hand gestures and stuff like that. So it seems like she's, mm-hmm. she understands what she's doing and she could always like, if, if she says something and Harwin says something else, she could always go like, nope, like cross her arms. be like, no, 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 that's not what I said. Hang on. Let's try this again. Let's run this back. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it kind of reminds me a lot. Uh, I mean, a big part of a piece for crows is the idea of the broken man, Septon Maribald, the, um, what war does to people. And it's interesting that when you think about the origin of the Brotherhood Without Banners, they're largely created in response to the mountain, Gregor Clegane, and what his men are doing from Tywin's orders. They're supposed to essentially go into the Riverlands and kill and rape and destroy and loot everything um, from the, just anywhere they can find it. And the Brotherhood is supposed to, is supposed to like stand in contrast to that. And instead they've sort of just done the same thing now where they're looting they're they're killing people just sort of at will they're just kind of doing whatever they want they become um more like i mean it's it's a meme in the song of ice and fire fandom are you an outlaw or are you a um a good man it's like well they actually are just outlaws now they are yeah they're acting out of self-interest kind of i would say and then looking at this thoros quote um he says some nights are dark and full of terror Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the line that like, uh, Melisandre says all the time. It's like, the night is dark and full of terrors, but this is the first time that I'm aware of. Not to say that there isn't, and I'm sure um, if I'm wrong, someone will tell me. And <laughs> YouTube, thank nah. you for correcting me. Um, is the first time that I've seen described as dark and full of terror like this. Mm-hmm. So, the um, the cognate or the um, the wordplay, the night and night thing, yeah, yeah, and how uh, you know, like. Thoros, maybe he's sticking with Catelyn, maybe not out of loyalty, but to make sure that, you know, loyalty to Beric, but just to make sure that, you know, Lady Stoneheart doesn't do anything worse than she's, like, obviously what she's doing is bad, it's Hmm. wrong, it's horrific, they've become the monsters that they had sworn to themselves or, you know, or sworn to the king to fight against, but to make sure that it's not as bad as it could be, which... Considering how bad it is, I can only I imagine know. how Is he doing anything? I don't know. If he's trying to be a moderating influence, he is not doing great at that job, I would say. Um, not great, Bob. Not, not great, Thoros. Uh, yeah, maybe... I've also wondered the idea that George loves the idea of second lives, and that when um, 
Like, this is the idea that when Vermeer Sixskins dies and he goes into his wolf, that some part of him remains, and it's the some, same thing that happens when he takes over Aurel's eagle, and he says he can still feel Aurel sometimes, and it's like, is there a part of Beric that's still alive in Catelyn? Like, when he, when she, when he transferred his life to her, whatever that was, did part of him go with her? Doesn't seem like it, because she's just like, be acting like a true monster, but maybe that's something that Thoros is holding on to, that's, that the, that somewhere in her, his friend is somewhere still. Should be nice, I guess. Although not really, because she, she's hanging everybody. Um, well, it's nice for us that we would finally get to see how this turns out. But other than that, no, it's not great for anyone else involved. No, not, not really great. Um, so Catelyn begins this, like we were talking about, the strategy of just catch, capturing, hanging, killing everyone remotely related to the Red Wedding. Um, and she also sort of picks up a costume which is something I didn't pick up on, but I did pick up on last night uh, when Brienne was thinking about seeing her and that she has these giant gray robes that she's wearing. And it's I mean, it's to disguise her her appearance because she looks like a zombie. But Brienne makes the connection that she's wearing what looks like silent sisters robes. And part of that is the reason that she becomes called the Silent Sister, Mother Merciless, the Hang Woman. And um, if you guys in the chat aren't aware of the Silent Sisters are, they're a religious organization that women get sent to kind of as a punishment most of the time, where their job is to clean up dead bodies. And um, like the Silent Sisters are who transported Ned's bones to Cal and that kind of thing. They're sort of like um, undertakers a little bit. And... But they, the, the silence and their association with the stranger means that everyone thinks they're really creepy and they like to stay away from them. And that's sort of the, um, the, I'm not even sure if it's like deliberate, but that, that's definitely the image that people are getting from her now. They think that she is death itself or an, like an embodiment of it. Yeah. And then it also loops in the Faith of the Seven, you know, the imagery, uh, because you know like that was Catelyn's religion like she never adopted the old gods when she went to Winterfell and married Ned whereas you know I think in a lot of cases she probably would have been expected to adopt her husband's religion Mm -hmm. like that um you know when it's like you know what I'm going to you're not only going to be able to continue to you know believe and practice your own religion we're going to like make it easier and like build a place where you can do that mm-hmm. and which is really awesome ned and wow i miss ned now oh we all miss <laughs> ned ned was the best um i also i forgot to do this at the top of the stream i want to say thank you to uh danny mckay uh who donated five dollars before the stream started saying zombie catlin i can dig it well <laughs> so can we all lee stoneheart is beloved for despite being the mon- monster that she is and uh also uh ten dollars from ramona zamfir who's also in the chat uh she also has some questions on patron my seneschal level patron uh because saturday because it is saturday and interesting theories are about to follow you're damn right ramona <laughs> but thank you guys for that thank you for the um like they're kind of like super chats but whatever whatever they are um there's also a very important thing that Catelyn starts doing, or Lady Stoneheart. I'm going to start calling her Lady Stoneheart from here on out because George draws a distinction himself when he talks about it. Uh, where essentially Lady Stoneheart has said, guest right doesn't exist, nor do any social conventions. Like when we see with Merit Frey at the hostage exchange, she doesn't care about any of that anymore. She's like, you know what? After the Red Wedding, when you guys broke guest right and killed your allies and killed all of us, it's like, what's the point of following these things anymore? 
Tywin broke the rules, and so Catelyn has said, well, the rules no longer matter to her, and... And this is something that's a big change in character for her because she's the one of the POVs that we hear the most about this kind of stuff for. Like, in particular, when they get to the, the twins and Catelyn's worried about Walter getting revenge, she's the one that stresses to Rob, we have to get uh, bread and salt. We have to have the guest right so that we're safe here because I don't feel safe. And this is kind of like the legacy almost of Tywin Lannister. That Like, Lady Stoneheart, in a real way, is his monster that he's she she is what he made with his own actions and it's that's that's kind of not something good to think about with lady stoneheart that this is kind of like almost a a connection to john connington where it's like where he says like well my problem with uh with robert's rebellion is i wasn't brutal enough i should have gone more like tywin and here we have another character that's like you know what i wasn't brutal enough i'm gonna be more like tywin it's like oh fuck this is not what we want yeah, and then it also like destroys any reputation that the fairies have because people aren't going to feel safe going there anymore because they broke one of the oldest laws mm -hmm. that yeah, like in, you know, Westerosi society, like it, it probably even predates Westeros is you know, if you get this, you are safe under this roof and he just destroyed that. So, like who who's going to want to like stay at the twins now? <laughs> yeah, it's over for I the fairies. Walter Frey doesn't seem like a great host or anything, like even without the red wedding, but mm -hmm. like I wouldn't want to stay at the twins. No, <laughs> who's going to nobody's ever going to feel safe around them again. Um, actually, a funny comment. Isabel Lamego says you never go full time when that's essentially what's happening. Your Stoneheart is going full time when where she's she's internalized the idea that right makes no. What is it? How does it go? It goes. Um, what's that phrase? Oh, I can't believe I'm thinking of something makes right. Might makes right. Two, two wrongs don't make a right. No, might makes right. Where oh, okay. or the ends justify the means that it doesn't matter how she wins. Oh my god, I can't believe I just forgot that the entire chat is now just saying it. Thank you guys. <laughs> I suck. Um yeah, she's internalized that idea that all that matters is her goals and getting there. It doesn't matter at all to her how she gets there. And it's also uh interesting if you think about it in terms of that Martin has crafted this particular situation in a way that completely cat shatters Catelyn's faith and just her entire way of being. The social contracts that she takes very seriously, that she makes sure all of her kids knows and abide by, are broken. And not only that, she she wasn't like super religious, but you know she she made sure to teach her kids a little bit about them. She made sure to have a sept in Winterfell, and she went to the Void and saw that there was no seven heavens there was no seven hells there was no mother or maid crone anything there's nothing waiting for her and when she comes back she also knows that almost all of her children are dead well almost all of her children are dead as she thinks and you know north has been sacked winterfell's been taken over by the boltons and the um and the ironborn and he's really just removed every aspect of Catelyn's personality and turned it on her. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just like one of those, oh, so I spent four decades of my life worrying about all this, doing all of this, and then just finding out none of it mattered. Mm -hmm. And like, even when certain aspects of that, you know, minus death happens to us, it, like, it's just shattering. Mm -hmm. So like, at least that part of it just seems very relatable. <laughs> yeah, there's every underpinning of your life just gone and 
die and come back and it's like what is she even living for well she's not she's all she's living for is vengeance and that's when we get to the storm of swords prologue where she um i read that from the, at the very top with Merit frey and epilogue me epilogue i'm sorry man i can't just i can't talk today and i, I stream and just can't can't say words um what we see from Merit Frey, which I think is really interesting, is it's not just murder that she's going for with these people. So they don't just grab Merit Frey, instantly throw a rope over a tree, and then hang him. They make sure to ask him specific questions first. Now, the setup is that um, Peter, quote unquote, Pimple Frey, who's the fourth in line to the twins through his father, Ryman Frey, and then through Stevron Frey, I think that's how it goes. The Frey family tree is very complicated, but I think that's how it works. He was captured by the Brotherhood Without Banners and held hostage. Um, Merit Frey, one of Walter's younger sons, shows up with the gold to pay the ransom. Um, I think Guilty Undertaker was talking about this in the chat earlier, that guest right and, you know, hot, ransoming hostages are related. They're very important as in terms of social constructs for... Um, for just safe conduct, being able to talk to your opponents without feeling that you're literally going to die. Merritt shows up, he pays the ransom, and he finds out that Peter Pimple was hanged hours, maybe days ago. He's they, he sees his body already turning black, and he realizes he's about to die. But before this happens, as we talked about at the beginning, the Brotherhood asks Merritt very specific things they want to know before they kill him. So first... The first thing they care about is they want to know if he saw Sandra Clegane at the Red Wedding, specifically with Arya Stark. They don't name Arya, but that's who they're talking about. Because we know that the last place, the Brotherhood knows Arya's alive, and that she left with Sandor, so they're trying to track him. And the second thing that they ask about, I think this comes from Lem Lemoncloak, it might come from Harwin, is he wants to know about what Merit's role was, basically, in the sewing of Grey Wind's head to Rob Stark's body. So what do you make of these two things that they care about knowing from Merit Frey? Um, it kind of just boils down to like, you know, Lady Stoneheart's two, like the two things that they care about is, is Catelyn Stark's, you know, as far as I know, last surviving child alive mm -hmm. because, you know, granted, like if they, you know, if they had captured them or something like, or if they had seen them, they probably wouldn't be, mm -hmm. you know, even if they didn't know it was Arya. You know, because they want to make sure that the kids are okay. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other one is, it's not that they killed Rob, although it's definitely a good part of it. They desecrated his body. Right. It, and as somebody mentioned in the chat before, like, Rob died twice because he had a very brief second life, or at least, like, that is is the theory, that a brief mm -hmm. second life in Greywind, and then they killed Greywind, and then, like, it's, it's just, like, an insult. It's like, oh, we're going to, he wants to be king. We're going to parade him around with putting this, you know, making him the wolf king and then mm -hmm. putting his head on this body and there's nothing you can do about it. And, you know, the whole thing with the Starks was the Starks are buried underneath Winterfell and that's where they lay. And, you know, it's the point where even Tywin you know, Tywin Lannister was, we're going to send, Ned, send Ned's body back to Winterfell. Right. That was very important to him. Like, mm -hmm. yes, we may have killed him, even if that's what's all, all Joffrey's thing, but we're not gonna like piss him off even further by also just like making a mockery of his body. I think Joffrey wanted to put Ned's head like up on a spike or something, but Tywin mm -hmm. and Tyrion and everyone was like, that is a terrible idea. 
It was terrible to kill him, but it's even worse to do that. So the thing is, like, Rob never got to lay to rest. He never got that, you know, that last peace of mind. And, you know, we, as far as we know, we don't know what happened to his body after that. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, maybe in Lady Stoneheart's mind, it's either as bad, if not worse, that they made a mockery of his body after he died. For sure. And then also, you know, like, if they somehow one day you might want to try to bring Rob back. It's like kind of hard if you don't have a head. Yeah. <laughs> then we, we don't know where Rob's head is, do we? No, it's uh, it's one of those mysteries um, that I do find it interesting that they, like you are saying, they know Rob's dead. They know who killed him. So why do they care who had any part in Rob's, the specific desecration, like maybe to give them some part, some extra punishment or something like that, but they're, they're already going to kill Merritt. So with the looking for Arya and also the questions about who was involved with Rob's body, I think there is a good question that Catelyn's trying to reassemble her family in some way. She wants to find Arya, but she also wants to find Rob. Um, no, yeah, nobody knows where his head is. Nobody knows where his body is. Knowing Walter Frey, I'm assuming that he did not throw that body in the river. He took a lot of um, he took a lot of uh, pride in killing the the Starks, getting revenge on them, and in particular, Rob Stark. He very much enjoyed that. So I would guess that if his body's anywhere, that it's being um, held by Walter or something like that. But they don't know that, so they're questioning everyone they come across, like. Do you know what happened with Rob's body? Did you have a part in it? Merritt doesn't, so they let it go. But if he had said yes, they may have said, okay, so what'd you do with it afterwards? There, there probably would have been follow-up questions. Um, I, also, I also really like the idea that um, Stoneheart, it doesn't come up in Bran's chapter that they're looking for Arya Stark. They're not letting that out. But that is that tells you that even though Lem Lemoncloak tells us later that her whole thing is, well, she's going to bring Rob... She wants to find her son alive. Whoops on that one. Or she's going to kill everybody. There's actually other plans going on underneath. She is not, even though they're presenting her as this like murderous monster who's going to kill everybody, she does have different strategies and goals she's trying to enact through this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So this just like literally popped in my head as you're, you're talking about that. But what if part of, because in Brian's chapter, you know, people are playing Barrick. Mm-hmm. Like they're making it still seem like he's alive, even though he died when he gave like the kiss of life to to Gatlin to turn her into Lady Stoneheart. What if they want to find Rob's body and then maybe have somebody play him to make oh. it look like he came back like Lady Stoneheart? That'd be interesting, you know. Especially if because they have Rob's crown, I believe. Yep, she found it. Um, they captured Ryman Frey, who mm-hmm. had it. Yeah, killed him, took the f- crown, and now she essentially keeps it on her desk as a memento of rob because i think you know as far as they're concerned it's not about like oh we need to take the north we want to take the north back we just want to instill like so much fear into the lannisters and the Freys and the boltons that we're gonna make it seem like rob came back from the dead too like we got one zombie stark why not two (laughs) or literally maybe literally rombie literally zombie rob like the whole point of thoros being like oh she's been dead too long and barrack's like well i'm gonna do it anyway kind of establishes that whatever the rules are we think about resurrection for these characters george hasn't told us all of them because catelyn is supposedly outside what should happen and does anyway so maybe it's on catelyn's mind that 
If she reassembles Rob's corpse, maybe there's a way she could bring her boy back from the dead. Much in the same way Beric did to her. Maybe she'd give up her life for him. That'd be something really horrific that she could do, but mm-hmm. it's definitely on the table. She's literally undead. Like, she has a guy that can bring people back from the dead, and Beric did it for her. So, yeah, maybe she can find zombie Rob. That would be a thing she could do. Um, also, I wanted to say... He's back ch- so messed up after three days. I can't imagine how messed up he would be after who knows how, you know, how many months or years. You know, time's all wonky over there in Westeros. Yeah, it's almost like uh, something like the others, where somebody just totally divorced from their humanity and just utterly destroyed. Maybe that's how they started, somebody doing exactly this, out of love, bringing somebody back from the dead, who's been dead Mm -hmm. for too long, and you end up with the others. That could be a thing that happens. Um, In the chat, you guys were saying we got to 150 likes. We did not get to 150 likes. We're 152 viewers, 90 likes. So if you want to see me with a hat on, a silly hat on. Also, Michelle has a silly hat, too. Um, I don't have a silly hat. It's just a hat that I made. Okay, she just has a hat. But if you slam the like button, get up to 150, I will put it on for you guys. Um, So that that was a little bit of tinfoil there. I might rank that up in the future and, like, go more into it, maybe do a full video about it. But I think it's... I don't think it's that far-fetched, considering literally what Lady Stoneheart is, <laughs> that she may think she could bring Rob back from the dead, just as she did. Like, what if she also got Ned's body? I mean, it's literally bones, but she could experiment. She's got Thoros. Maybe just like, all right, smooch the... kiss the skeleton, see what happens. <laughs> all right, I guess it didn't work. But you never know. Uh, we're at 150 likes? Are we really? Hang on a second. I don't think that's true. So I see 96 I on mine. Yeah. I have the video up. I see uh, 97 likes. Got a slam. Hold on. I just hit one, so I, I didn't like it yet. So I, I want to see the silly hat. <laughs> I see 99. Viewers are well over. Yeah. So 50 more of you guys slam that like button. Won't do that. We'll, we'll see <laughs> silly hats. Um, so, okay. So let's see here. Where were we? I totally got distracted. Um... Talking about possibility of cat bringing Rob oh, yeah. back. So uh, after that, um, there's also the uh, that Merritt Frey essentially spills his guts to Lady Stoneheart. He tells her everything she needs to know about the different Freys, like what their different roles within their family are. She notes that Lame Lothar is kind of like a Lara Strong character. He's kind of like the spy master. Tells her that Black Walder, who's the older brother of the now dead Peter Pimple, is kind of a dick and um, is very dangerous and very ambitious which might come up later when we talk about a, a certain event that might happen in the Winds of Winter. Um, so then we get to Ryman Frey. We talked about him a little bit. He's the heir to the twins through his father, Stevron. They hang him and take the crown from him. And th- this, is, this is also very indicative of... So they, they, they ransom Peter Pimple. Ryman Frey is arguably more valuable to Walder Frey than even his youngest son. And they don't even give a shit. They take him and they hang him. And... This goes against their previous strategies, where a lot of times when they took ransoms or they took people hostage, it was because they didn't have enough money because they're guys living out in the woods and they don't have any way to earn or buy supplies and that kind of stuff. They essentially relied on ransoms and people being nice to them, and they have completely abandoned that strategy. And it's they're almost like a suicide pact at this point because you know winter's coming. They've lost two harvests. They aren't even trying to get ransoms and money anymore to buy stuff they're just sort of like they're they're going like full big bucket wool mode where they just want to get revenge on their enemies at before winter comes and they don't really care anymore yeah i feel like they first like they they were 
you know, obviously by the time Brienne comes across them, like they've changed their strategy. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, they hang Ryman Frey. They're like, wait, we could get, we could extort them and then kill them. So right. then that's where Merit Frey comes in. But maybe by the time that, you know, Brienne comes across the Brotherhood without banners, it came out that, you know, it's pointless. Like the ransom doesn't work anymore because it it's getting out that not only did they kill that person that they also took the ransom. So then why would you waste right. all of those old dragons if you're not going to get the person back because they're dead? And then the person who brings the old dragons is also dead. So maybe the phrase adapted and they're like, yeah, that's not working anymore. Yeah, definitely. They like uh, Merritt says like my father's going to come with a thousand swords to kill you, and they're like, oh, they'll have to find us first. But again, this is sort of like. This is the way that an outlaw band subsists and they have turned much like Catelyn into something else entirely where they are no longer the Brotherhood Without Banners. They aren't um, they aren't like these plucky outlaws like Robin Hood and his merry men. They have just turned into I, I hesitate to say, it, but it's almost like a terrorist organization within the Riverlands. They just mm-hmm. want to kill people. They just want to um, get so vengeance. Fear. Yeah just live on fear which is what stoneheart does and then we get to the um where we get most of this information that's obviously with brienne of tarth now this is very very different from the show so you guys have not read a feast for crows this is going to be super different because none of this happens in the show so brienne goes to the ant the crossroads and she comes across the quote-unquote hound which is not actually sander clegane this is rorge and biter um Jack and Hagar's former compatriots who have essentially stolen Sandor Clegane's helmet, which they found, I think, at a grave or something like that. Everyone thinks that Sandor's dead. Oh. <clears throat> wow, my voice is cracked really hard. And Brienne was told that he was dead um, by, <clears throat> by Maribold, I believe. Right. And there's um, the Quiet Isle. I mean, there's a whole... Sandor's not dead, but they think he is. And they get into the whole big fight. Brienne kills a whole bunch of them. You get the no chance, no choice. Um, she gets her cheeks ripped out by Biter in one of the most horrific scenes in the books. One of the ones, I mean, it's a great chapter, but it's also really hard to read specifically because of Biter going in on her face. That's not great. But she also broke an arm and a few of her ribs. After this, they are taken captive by the Brotherhood, which is weird, right? Because Bran asked this later. It's like, wait, I just helped you guys. Why, why are you taking us hostage? And it's revealed that they noticed her sword looks like a Lannister sword and that she has a letter from Tommen and she continually talks about Jamie Lannister while she was uh, almost dying from her wounds. And also she has Hyle Hunt, who is well known to be a member of Randall Tarley's uh, household guard and Podrick Payne, who was Tyrion's squire. So they've decided that Brienne has to die just because of that. They've said, you are associated with the Lannisters, therefore you shall absolutely have to hang. But it doesn't it doesn't stick, does it? Not at all. Um the other thing I'm I'm wondering is is the other connection we forgot about is Sansa was married to Tyrion for a bit. Um oh, I don't Yeah. So would Catelyn hold that against her? Because I mean Sansa didn't have any say in that and you know according to the Faith of the Seven, you know, they they could technically annul their marriage because it was never consummated. Mm-hmm. Um like so would that count against Sansa and would would Lady Stoneheart kill her because of that? Sure. You know, if, kill she, her, if we're but... getting that granular into like the inner workings of the of the Lannisters and 
how everyone else interacts with them. Um, Because Kyle Hunt, you know, he's associated with, you know, with Charlie's who, you know, who are loyal to the crown right now. And then mm-hmm. you have, you know, Padraig, who was Tyrion Squire. And then you have you know, Bran, who, like, has this very close personal relationship with Jamie mm-hmm. to the point where, like, she's probably seen, seen him more openly and more honestly than pretty much anybody. Like, I would just say even Cersei to an extent. Right. I think that's a good point, that she may very much question Sansa's loyalty. I don't know if she would kill her, but I think she, if they come across each other, she's going to be very skeptical about her daughter. Um Especially because, like, a lot of these are, like you were saying, these are really, like, <laughs> really thin things. Like, Heil Hunt is a household guard for Randall Tarly, therefore he has to die as a Lannister soldier. It's like, kind of. Household guards don't really have a choice in what they're doing. That's sort of the whole point of being, mm-hmm. um, you know, just a guy in one of these households. That's, like, the only way you have to live. It's, he has no choice in what Randall Tarly does. It's just, that's just his job, and he has no other choice. Um... But we see from Lady Stoneheart, she decides we're not going to kill Brienne yet. Instead, she's going to charge her with a mission. And this mission is to go get Jamie Lannister and bring him back or else she's going to kill Brienne, Podrick, and Hyle Hunt right there. They actually bring him outside. They put the uh, nooses around the trees. They string him up. And the chapter ends with Brienne saying she says a word. George has gone on to confirm that she said... um sword which means that she's gonna go get jamie and we see that in a dance with dragons um she encounters jamie at penny tree and tells him that she's found sansa but he she's with the hound who's still alive and she he has to come alone or else um the hound will kill sansa on the spot and jamie goes with her uh, as you can tell from this that she went along this is part of the trick it's not gonna go great for jamie but it's it also this is something when people talk about the Winds of Winter and Lady Stoneheart and what's going to happen, they think there's a, there's an idea that Jamie might die in this encounter or Brienne will. And but I think that kind of goes against what we just saw with Stoneheart and Brienne where she's not killing everybody right away. She wants stuff from them first. And like with Merit Frey, she wanted answers. With Brienne, she wanted her she wanted her to go get Jamie. So just because she has asked for Jamie the answer does not mean he's about to die like in a trial underneath, especially because um, we learn in the, well, there's a few other things from the Winds of Winter that are coming out, but it's, I, I'm, I am not convinced that Jamie's about to die right here, you know, or Bran. I think there's, I think there's something, something a little more tantalizing going on here. Yeah. I just feel like, you know, not, not talking about like where they end up at the end of the show, because I think there's too many circumstances to be like, oh, this is how mm-hmm. Jamie's going to die. Or this is how Brienne will, or where Brienne will end up at the end of the story. Um, you know, there's too many variables, I think, for, for that to pl- take place. Also, you know, because Jamie spent an entire season in Dorne. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I feel like their stories aren't done yet. Like, even if they ultimately have the same outcomes that Jamie dies and Brienne lives, mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's more to it. And, um, you know, George has said that, you know, late in some of his complaints, <laughs> minor, minor complaints of, that the show had got you know never gotten to Lee's Dunehards. Like she has a role to play. It's not she's just not like a fun zombie like going around killing people. Um, and I think her kind of wavering on her own moral beliefs of killing every single Lannister, Frey, or Bolton, even or anybody remotely involved with the Red Wedding would be like she's adapting or evolving, or she's more 
even torn or uh, I don't know con- conflicted at her own moral structure or something like that. Mm-hmm. Also, why introduce the delicious tension between Jamie and Brienne if you're not going to save her? Hit yeah, that's a good yes. point. <laughs> it would be kind of a waste to kill Jamie and Brienne right here. And this is where we're going to start talking a little bit about what people expect is going to happen in the Winds of Winter. Um, so one big plot point is that Jane Westerling, Rob Stark's widow is still alive and George has confirmed she's going to feature in the prologue of Winds of Winter somehow. Um, quite a lot of people think that it will be a Brotherhood Without Banners raid to free her from Lannister control. I don't know what Catelyn wants Jane for. Um, uh, there's a lot of discussion in Jamie's um, POV about like if she's pregnant or not. I'm pretty sure she's not. So it's not too like save rob's unborn child or anything although yeah, it was it's definitely un- inferred in um in one of his chapters in the feast for crows that um jane's mother was basically making sure that she could not be pregnant right um you know giving her moon tea or something like that presumably um that that's my inference um yeah. you know they don't say but it obviously is upset jane a lot because she seemed to actually really like rob mm-hmm. um you know but she's treated like oh it's a silly little girl um, and dismissed that way by her own own family. But it's unclear if Lady Stoneheart knows that. She might think. No, no, no I, yeah, I know yeah. that. But um, yeah, I think I'm you're talking right. about what we know, not yeah, necessarily yeah. what she knows. Jane's probably not pregnant, but Cat may not, or Lady Stoneheart may not know that. So it may be worth her time to try and free her from Lancashire control in order to be like, do I have a grand son or daughter out there? Yeah. Which is sure that makes sense. But the the thing that I I really love thinking about with the Winds of Winter. And what's going to go on with Lady Stoneheart is the fan theory called the Red Wedding 2.0. Now, this fan theory, I actually find it pretty plausible. And this is kind of what I want to see happen is mm-hmm. that there's an upcoming wedding that will happen between Jamie's cousin, Devin Lannister or Davin, Devin, one of the two. And I, I some, would say Devin. some member of House Frey. Um, this was part of the bargaining for the Red Wedding where Lannister and Frey would marry each other again, even though they did through Jenna Lannister and um, her husband, they wanted to do, they wanted to seal the pact even more. This marriage has not come to pass yet, in particular because um, Devin has had duties he's doing in the Riverlands. They haven't, they're kind of waiting for things to calm down. So we have another wedding with everybody Catelyn or Lady Stoneheart hates that may be happening in the Riverlands. And it's also, there's some really clever hints about this. So in Merit Frey's epilogue, we get a line from Tom 07 that he complains that Lord Walder has never invited him to sing at a feast. And then we see him pop up later outside River Run, and um, he's managed to get himself inside the castle. Tom 07 is essentially acting like a spy for the Brotherhood within um, the place where there may end up being this wedding. So... With that, and also that Lady Stoneheart is for some reason trying to acquire Jamie Lannister and Brienne of Tarth, they her purpose for doing this, like with Brienne going to get Jamie, is that Jamie does something very special for Lady Stoneheart, and that is that he has an invitation to this wedding, and that he is Lord Commander of the King's Guard, and he can overrule everybody. So Jamie may be the key that Lady Stoneheart and the Brotherhood Without Banners wants to turn in order to turn this wedding into the next Red Wedding. That would be something astounding to read if that's what George was planning. If 
especially we be able to see it um presumably from jamie and brienne's pov as it's happening they both i would guess one or both of them would be there there's also a hint um within the story about ryman frey's death that there may be frey's willing to help them so edwin frey black walter's older brother says that he thinks his father ryman died because black walter betrayed them somehow because to get himself closer to inheriting the twins and we know the phrase are cutthroat so could the brother without banners cut a deal with somebody like black walter or lame lothar in order to kill basically all the other phrase leave them alive Uh oh we're going to kill you too because they don't do agreements anymore but i think george is setting up very interestingly that what's going to happen is not just like a trial by combat in the hollow hill that kind of thing but he wants to set all this up for another horrific red wedding and it's and it'd be great for like a catharsis sort of thing i'm not even sure if that's the right word but you want to see as a reader the phrase to be punished you want to see the lannisters punished for the red wedding like you hate these people what they did was awful but would you actually enjoy this if it's mm-hmm. presented in the wrong way if like let's say catelyn decides nobody's um nobody's going to be spared and they start dragging out the women and the children too and they start executing everybody instead of walder and all this other stuff i think it's something that's very i think something that's set up pretty well for what might happen in the winds of winter like would that affect rosalind like edmure's wife and then their child yeah because you know because then uh, lady stoneheart would be killing her own kin but you know it's like her brother's married to a fray i don't think they were allowed to see each other past like the wedding night so you know it was like we don't really know her thoughts about things that all that much beyond um you know and somebody's like yeah like he's afraid the kid's afraid but with her evolving like not hang first ask questions later <laughs> approach right that maybe like <laughs> there are some exceptions to that rule like you know i almost wonder if you know, and kind of how it's portrayed, um, you know, so like season seven at the very beginning, Arya sneaks into the twins and mm-hmm. she basically murders all the phrase. Like, I think she leaves like the women and children or at right. least like that one um, wife, that like very young bride he had um, to be like, tell them that like, you know, basically like Stark got their revenge, mm-hmm. like that sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> and I wonder if that's sort of a similar thing although instead of just being a random you know feast and then boom like everybody's dead like it could be like that's where a wedding comes in i think the the question is is making it distinct enough because we've already had two weddings in the books that ended in slaughter right so i think the you know the the question and the challenge is to make it not feel like it's very repetitive especially if it's going to be red wedding 2.0 um, but then, you know, for example, like if Brienne was with the Brotherhood and Lady Stoneheart and then Jamie witnessed the carnage happen inside, like then you just have these two different perspectives, like how you did with the original one where Arya was outside and then Catelyn was inside. Mm-hmm. So because I, I think that would be very interesting to see, like, yeah, everyone we hated died, but then we are horrified and wait, why are we enjoying this? Yeah, especially like depending on what they go on, like, for instance, uh, Jenna Lannister, Jamie's favorite aunt, is married to a fray, so presumably she would die. And does Lady Stoneheart make sure that happens before Jamie? Does she know that they like each other? Also, like maybe Walter is made to watch, or the last one as like one by one his children are 
taken up before him and killed by the Brotherhood Without Banners. Like there's way George, there's ways that George can lean into his horror background and make it even worse than the Red Wedding. The the hard part of the Red Wedding was really the emotional toll of seeing two favorite characters and the retinues around them die. But it it was hard to read, but he could make it a lot worse if he wanted to. Or you leave Walter alive, but you make sure that the house that house fray dies with him. Mm, that's true. Uh, we got uh, su- two super chats. I'm sorry, I missed this one earlier. Uh, two dollars from Cam Cam, Brandon Pod, the truest knights in the Seven Kingdom. Um, I think I saw Ramona in the chat say something like Jamie and Brand went on along with this. And I, this is something I just wanted to jump off on really quickly. I think a big part of the Red Wedding 2.0 is that Jamie and Brienne and Podrick and Hyle would be essentially have no control after they help the Brotherhood come in. Maybe they would try to be heroic and save people, but whether or not they want the Brotherhood to go through with it, they may not have a choice if they're being held at knife point or sword point or that kind of thing. And a second one here from Oni Shadowkin. $5. What happens if Arya's skin changes Walder this time? And Stoneheart thinks she's Walder. I don't think Arya's going to be around for this one. I think that this is just going to be a Stoneheart thing and that the show gave that role to Arya just because they had nobody else. They'd already cut the character. So they wanted the slaughter to happen, but she's the obvious person with no Stoneheart left. And then it's a matter of Arya getting back to, you know, Westeros and then like heading over there. Whereas at the end of season six, you had Arya like, you know what? I want to go home. Mm -hmm. And then... Yes, you know, then season seven, she was there, whereas I don't feel you know, like she's still in Bravos at the end of uh, A Dance of Dragons. So, um, you know, I like if this happens towards the beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like it definitely uh, if Arya works in Nymeria, that's a way of her being there. But I don't know, like, how would the Brothers Without Banners know that like the wolves are on their side? They seem to run from them. The, Arya makes that point when she's in a Nymeria that when the people show up, they run away. That's like their mm-hmm. thing, although maybe they won't anymore. Um, yeah, no, that was Isabel who brought that up in the chat. Yes, that's right. Um, also, a good point here from uh, Lyat Rubenfeld. Um, Blackfish and Edmure will presumably be a part of this. At least Edmure, maybe Blackfish. And that could be one of the ways that George makes you regret him getting the revenge you call for by making this Red Wedding 2.0 happen in the eyes of those two characters who don't recognize Stoneheart anymore. They don't even know what she is. That could be a way it could um it could come out. But you know, none of this happened in the show. And I think now's a good time to get into like what the hell happened. And so I talked about this at the beginning. James Hibbert is writing a book and he released um some quotes from it, or Entertainment Weekly did, where they talked about uh Dan and Dave, where they answered why they cut Stoneheart and the entire plot. And instead had Jamie go to Dorne and Bran do the whatever weird things they had her do. And it was not... Stare at a candle for an entire season. Yeah, stare at a candle for an entire Stannis. season. The answers did not go over super well uh, with the fandom. Even I, a devout show defender, thought they were very dumb. Um, a lot of people thought they were pretty stupid. Um, also, by the way, 30 likes away. We had 170 watching. We got 250. Super cool hats going on. But... um. So I thought we would just go through the answers and talk about them and like break them down and say why they're stupid. Um, and But one thing to start off with is that George is outspoken in a way that he usually is not about the show that he thinks it was a mistake that Stoneheart was cut, right? Yeah. Um, you know, in the past have we seen, um, for example, the, um, Jamie and Cersei, um, you know, that scene in season four 
and Sans was rape in season five, like, you know, and there has been outrage and, you know, and the whole thing. Like, there was a very uh, famous article called, uh, you know, talking about Game of Thrones uh, rape problem called Rape of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of laid it out on how the show had seemed to put rape scenes where there weren't them, like, even in the books. Um, so, a couple times, you know, in response to those two scenes, George, you know, he went on his not a blog and he basically did this whole thing as the books are the books, the show and a show. And he kind of points out, like, how many children did Scarlett O'Hara have? Um, you know, talk about the nature of adaptations mm-hmm. um, and how basically like a decision he, they might make in like season two would affect, like would have a ripple effect like later on. Um, you know, so like he addressed it, but he didn't, um, you know, he hasn't said really what, like what he thinks about the end of the show. Um, you know, so, you know, fans who are like, we hated how it ended. Mm-hmm. Can't really like, his words to be like two and you know like all of that kind of stuff um you know it's it's been at the very least diplomatic for mm-hmm. the most part except for lady stoneheart and lady stoneheart he is not even close to diplomatic he thinks it was a mistake from the beginning i actually dropped a bunch of quotes here um the first one is lady stoneheart does have a role in the books martin said with the emphasis on the does whether it's sufficient or interesting enough well i think it is or i wouldn't have put her in one of the things I wanted to show with her is that death she suffered changes you, changes you. And then he goes on to talk about um, how he didn't like the Gandalf part of Lord of the Rings where he comes back and is basically unaffected and actually kind of better for it. It's like, oh, well, I guess you should die in Lord of the Rings and come back to from the dead if you're an Istari. Apparently it's great. Um, there's also, let's see here. He And actually in response to a lot of these questions, he goes into detail about exactly why he thinks Stoneheart is important and what's missing by not having her in there, which is something. Yeah, at one point he says, I tried to set it up, you know, you know, the whole like resurrection thing beforehand with Beric Bondarian as, as repeated resurrections. There's a brief appearance by Beric in book one. He rides into the city and he's this flamboyant southern knight. That's not the man we meet later on. Mm-hmm. Talking about why, like it's foreshadowing that the point of Beric and Stoneheart is like, hey, Resurrection sucks. It should suck. And then um, this is a, a question he got about like what changes he didn't like. He said, I think one of the biggest ones would probably be when they made this, they made the decision not to bring back Catelyn, Lady Cat, not to bring back Catelyn Stark as Lady Stoneheart. This was probably the first major diversion of the show from the books. And, you know, I argued against that. And Dan and Dave and David and Dave made the decision. He calls him David. Interesting. In my version of the story, Catelyn Stark is re-imbued with a kind of life, becomes this vengeful white who galvanizes a group of people around her, and is trying to exact her revenge on the Riverlands. David and Dan made a decision to not to go into that direction in their story, pursuing other threads. But, but both of them are equally valid, I think, because Catelyn Stark is a fictional character and she doesn't exist. You can tell either story about her. George mm-hmm. tried to be diplomatic at the end, but it's pretty clear he thought this was a very stupid decision from the, t- from the two. Another thing we had learned already from Hippard's book is that, um, you know, when they were talking about, they had released the excerpt about uh, the failed pilot is at one point um, they want to uh, cut out Rickon mm-hmm. from the story. Uh, but George said, like, no, like he's important later on. And so far we haven't really seen that. But, you know, the Winds of Winter kind of, kind of sets that up. Mm-hmm. We don't really have to get into that too much. But there's an instance of <clears throat> they wanted to do something. George is like, he argued that why that would be a, a bad thing at least in the general sense and they backed off and we know there there was a rick and stark mm-hmm. um who did not zigzag 
at the end. <laughs> but there was one. Mm-hmm. He, there was yeah. a character named Rick and Stark. That is correct. Wow. But you, but you know what I mean. Yeah, like, yeah. They're, like they did include him in there, even if they weren't and they didn't um, do anything that George may have wanted to do with that character by the end. Yeah. And uh, so let's go into the reasons. Um, so here we go. Part of the reason we didn't want to put it in had to do with things George with with things coming up in George's books that we don't want to spoil by discussing them. Benioff says, Michelle, what do you think about that answer? Um, I mean, we definitely know, having seen the end of Game of Thrones, that there are things that they had to spoil. Mm-hmm. Um, Jon Snow coming back, possibly the way that Jon Snow came back. Um, Danny, Danny's demise. Um, Bran on the throne is the biggest one that we know of because uh, Isaac Hempstead Wright, who played Bran, said that that was like it is basically um, that was the third holy shit moment that um, yeah. George had told um, David and Dan like at that very uh, very famous meeting in Santa Fe. Um, one of them was that Shireen was dying, and you know like she would be burnt at the stake. The second one was the meaning behind Godor's name, right? Um, although that didn't play doesn't play out the way it does in the books. Um, but yeah, like there are definitely things that, you know, spoil. I imagine that a lot of the deaths that we see probably correspond, mm-hmm. if not in the way that they happen, the fact that they happen. Um, I, I think that Jamie's going to die before the end. I, I love Jamie, but mm-hmm. I, I don't think he will survive uh, that, you know, all these wars. Um, I don't know how he dies. I haven't figured that out, but you know, like for example, that's one, um, mm-hmm. you know, so, so they, they spoiled a lot of things. things that they spoiled, but why not this one? Like, why, why is this the Holy Grail? Why is Lady Stoneheart such an amazing twist and and amazing plot point in the Winds of Winter that they were like, well, we can spoil the literal end of the books and who ends up on the throne and Jon Snow and all this other stuff. But, you know, resurrected Catelyn Stark off limits. I, I don't think it makes any sense. I, that's, that, that just sounds like a bullshit answer to me. Like, just total BS. <laughs> like, what does that even mean? <laughs> I mean, you you know, the other thing uh, you could mention is, or, you know, as far as spoiling goes, you know, it could be a whole bunch of revelations that the just show just never had any, you know, so you don't really have Rob's will, um, yeah. which, you know, it's very widely believed that uh, Rob named John his heir because he thought that Bran and Regan were dead and right. that Sansa was captured and then Arya just like flat out disappeared and nobody had seen her since, you know, book one. Mm hmm. So, like, they probably thought that she was dead, too. But they the most important thing is they did not want the Lannisters to get control of the North via Sansa. Right. You know, and her marriage to Tyrion. The thing that's really interesting about this is when we're talking about the will, large parts of what people think will happen in the Winds of Winter from Lady Stoneheart did happen in the show, just in weird ways. Like, Arya did do sort of the Red Wedding 2.0. The Brotherhood Without Banners did become uh, a lot more violent and bloodthirsty until Brother Ray, God help us, and uh, Sandor ended up killing Lem, Lem, and Cloak, and a couple of the other guys, essentially cutting off that more dangerous part of the Brotherhood. John does become King of the North. I mean, it's not not by will, by Rob's will, but it does happen. And they even do the scene with Jamie and Brienne reuniting in the Riverlands at River Run. But it's specifically something about Lady Stoneheart and her meeting Brienne and Jamie that they did not want to even try to adapt. Instead, they, like I talked about earlier, they threw Jamie the door and they had Brienne do nothing. There's something here about that meeting and what happens directly afterwards that they in no way wanted to put on the screen, but everything else they're 
for some reason okay with. I, I don't know what to make of that, but that's the part they've excluded. I don't... It's so weird. Like, that, um, that specific meeting, that's the yeah. one that they had a problem with. I don't know. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, so we go to the second one, and... We had Jon Snow's resurrection coming up. Too many resurrections start to diminish the impact of characters dying. We wanted to keep our powder dry for that. Okay, Michelle, what do you make of that one? Um, so one of my, um, you know, my like little issues, I guess. You know, it's like it didn't break the show for me, but I was like, uh, about it. Mm -hmm. Um, was I don't think they showed when Jon did come back. I don't think they showed or demonstrated enough. Um, how death changes you yeah um because i i believe um you know it's like barrack is just such a fleeting character before you know he just starts dying a whole bunch um i actually a few years ago i got a copy of like that game of thrones in memoriam book mm -hmm. that just like here are all the characters who's died so far and then barracks <laughs> in it like six times yeah, just keeps biting it <laughs> um you know, he's obviously very different from other people like who are around there in the Brotherhood without banners. Um, you know, so you get that distinction there. I don't know if we got the we get that distinction enough with John after he comes back. Um, so I think if they had included Lady Stoneheart, they would have like even if it, it was just a character, she showed up once at the end of I think season four was the would have been the ideal location of her like showing up like. Mm -hmm. Maybe having that be the final scene instead of Arya, like on the boat, like say on the way to Bravos, um, and having you know that play out, and then you know maybe not coming back for a while, like not having someone who's there all the time, or just even whispers of this is what they're doing, mm -hmm. you know, because everyone in Westeros are a whole bunch of gossips, so that definitely <laughs> would have gotten around. Yeah. Uh. So. So I feel like you know having Catelyn show how much death screws you around because oh like even though he's different than everybody else Barrick's still like decentish guy and pretty much even even in season eight when you know before before like the big fight you know against the night king and and mm -hmm. like his whole giant army like he's still like you know seems like decent like i don't think um Barrick got enough you know screen time for us to get the idea of how death changes you and he wasn't really that. changed anyway. He just kind of had his cool eye patch and a few scars, and otherwise he was pretty normal. It seemed like Dan and Dave just really didn't want to do that plot point. They didn't want to show that death was a negative in some way. Maybe because they were thinking about John and they didn't want to have him play whatever George is going to do for him. Because like the, the quote itself says, "We just wanted to keep the powder dry," and that's why they cut Stoneheart. But the reason she's in the story is, as you're saying, foreshadowing. It's groundwork. And George isn't hiding from us that John might come back from the dead. He's positioned Melisandre, a red priest right there. It's there's a lot of like subtle hints that he's coming back from the dead, even from her um, like her fire visions. It's it's not mm -hmm. really it's not going to be in a oh, my God, the oh, my God part of it's going to be that he's going to come back very changed. That he's going to come back like Stoneheart. He's going to come back like Beric and make his make his audience dread what that's going to happen. And. I guess for whatever reason, Dan and Dave just didn't like that plot point. And so that's why like they I, thought Stoneheart's not important. I feel like the biggest changes we noticed in John is like, obviously he's got like the, the stab marks on his chest mm -hmm. um, that we like get glimpses of. And, you know, season six when he's like dead on the table and then season seven after he almost dies, you know, beyond the wall. Um, but I, I almost feel like 
he has a death wish is the biggest yeah. change I saw. And I, I personally wanted to see something more like I know feral John was, was a pretty popular theory. Like mm-hmm. maybe he had just has disregard for, for lives and he's not like the, you know, the classic fantasy hero that um, I think John largely and en- ends up becoming mm-hmm. like, obviously it gets very complicated at the end when, you know, he, he does kill Danny to like save the kingdoms from her and like what should you know what she would bring mm-hmm. uh but i you know i think it ended up being the gandalf thing where you don't see enough or you like he's a little different at the beginning but everything's kind of better off out. isn't he like he survived that like, uh that weird water thing apparently because he's undead like he's just like a better person because of, he's just like you know he worked into a sword well totally did according well you know, it, it it didn't affect him pretty much. Like they had the the brief thing with him and Sansa where he he leaves the watch. She convinces him he has to be king of the north or whatever again, or at least like come back and help him. And then there's some like brief moments where he's he's a little emo and he's he's thinking about death and a little more. There's a conversation with him and Barrack, but it's nothing like we see with like Book Barrack, who's like literally seeing his life evaporate from his memory, or Stoneheart, who has completely changed her value system. And is like a totally different person to the point that George says she's not the same person. John is basically the same thing, just like he's recognized that death sucks. And that's sort of it. And I don't know, that's that's a powerful plot point that George included that either they didn't understand or they just didn't like. Because they didn't, they just, <laughs> that's the point of Stoneheart. That's what George has said. Well, that's one point anyway. Otherwise, because I mean, like, like we were talking about earlier, they did adapt most of the other things that we think is going to happen with Stoneheart. It's just like the specific part that was excised. And then we get the um, the last quote, which is even more baffling. Catelyn's last moment was so fantastic and Michelle is such a great actress. To bring her back as a zombie who doesn't speak felt like diminishing returns, Benioff says. All right, Michelle, go for it. You got a quote here. So so this is the one, this is the reason I was like, you know, when I, when I read it uh, and I just thought, I've heard this before. This is not new information to me. And I found an interview that James Hibbert had done with Alex Graves, who directed the season four finale, um, The Children. And he he basically said something similar because the end of season four, like that was um, an instance where, you know, people were like, where the hell's Lady Stoneheart? Mm-hmm. What do you do? And <laughs> Graves told him you know, to bring back Michelle Fairley, one of the greatest actresses around, to be a zombie for a little while and then just kill people is really sort of, what are we doing with that? How does it play with the whole story in a way that we're really going to like? It just didn't end up being a part of what was going to happen this season. And, and finally, one more reason. In case you didn't notice, a lot happens this season. To add that in is something they opted out of. But what's funny is that it was never going to be in the season yet. It took off on the internet like it was going to happen. And one of those instances, um, which, you know, like I reported on at the time, um, I know like Watchers on the Wall was debunking, was a, a bunch of people who had IMDb accounts kept putting in that Michelle Fairley was going to come back and play Lady Stoneheart at some point. Um, anyone with an IMDb account can edit that information. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was never coming back. Um, I also have a... A quote from Michelle Fairley, it's um, from 2014, it was a year after uh, her character was killed off. Um, went also an interview with Hibbard um, when he says, do you have a preference at all? Do you think Catelyn's arc should end where it ended or would you be into the resurrection idea? 
And she said, you respect the writer's decision. I knew the arc and that was it. They can't stick to the books 100%. It's impossible. They only have 10 hours per season. They have got to keep it dramatic and exciting. And the extraneous stuff along the way gets lost in order to maintain the quality of brilliant show. Right. Um, So at, at that point, like, you know, at least as far as I'm, I can tell from this quote, um, whether or not she wanted to like, or she would have like been, been like totally game to come back as Lady Stoneheart. That's not the direction that um, David and Dan had wanted to go into, mm-hmm. um, you know, and as far as Alex Graves, the director, you know, they weren't going to go in that direction, but then it, again, he didn't know everything. Cause he had also said, um, in, yeah, yeah, again, at the end of season four, the hound wasn't coming back. And right. Whoops. as far as the hound, as I told the story, he's gone. How's he going to survive that? You know, that meaning the um, the big Brienne and hound fight that happened in that episode. Mm-hmm. The real point of it is that she walks away. It wasn't that it's left open ended. Um, and obviously, we know that the hound came back two seasons later. So, yeah. <laughs> but I also feel like if they just think that she's just a voiceless zombie, like, you know, something you would encounter in pretty much any zombie movie, like, you know, The Walking Dead mm-hmm. TV show or anything like that. I almost feel like you just don't, you might not understand like Lady Stoneheart. It's like, she's not as, I mean, she's undead, but she's not like a mindless zombie. Mm-hmm. You know, if anything, she just has this like very narrow focus on this is what she wants mm-hmm. to happen. And granted, I guess you could argue that with zombies and like, you know, eating flesh or, or, you know, like some people are like, Oh, zombies eat brains or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but, but I feel like, you know, we see her evolving and, you know, she does speak. It's just very difficult for her to speak. Um, I don't, you know, so. Yeah, I could always change that plot point if they felt like it. You could make it so yeah, she's more audible if you wanted to. Like, like her, I mean, she, Michelle Fairley was screaming her head off at, at the yeah. Red Wedding. So, like, she could, like, even if you have, like, oh, well, her throat wasn't cut so deep that it affected her vocal cords. Um you know, she did wreck them right before she died. So mm-hmm. it could just be like a whisper or something. Yeah, it's like it's that. a it's a it's a confusing one because like from the quote you read from Michelle Fairley, that's a fairly diplomatic response from her where she's like, well, it wasn't my decision. So that's what ended up happening. Not really any sort of like, yes, I would have liked to come back or I liked what happened. She's just like, it wasn't my wasn't my choice. So that's kind of where she went with that very professional answer. Like you said, Alex Graves' answer is much the same as Benioff's. It's, um, I don't think that's, I don't think it's necessarily true that, like, it would have spoiled Catelyn's last moments to make her Stoneheart. Like, her reveal... According, and, to, according to George, Catelyn isn't Stoneheart. Right. It's a different character. It's somebody else you could play with. It's a different way to take her. It's, it's character development, not the end of her character. It's, um, so... Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't really buy that one either. I guess I can understand that maybe it's like if that's your understanding of Stoneheart and you didn't want to waste the money on Michelle Fairley at that point, I guess that's the exploit. That's it sounds like more like a budgetary thing where they're like, um, we weren't going to have we don't think Stoneheart does that much. So is it worth it to pay her whatever her salary is to come back and do it? Maybe that's the explanation that's underneath these these quotes or something like that. If they didn't think it was that important, but. I don't know. It it seems like um not not that uh not that plausible that you couldn't bring Michelle back and have her do 
some version of Stoneheart that would have been impactful, I think. Or at least beloved. And I definitely know, you know, for for as much as, you know, early book readers um, tried to shield a lot of the show watchers from, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that was happening in the future. I feel like Lady Stoneheart was one of those that got out. Like, people who would watch the show, like, even before season four, like, knew what Lady Stoneheart was, at least in the general sense. You're right. Like, that was one of the early ones. I think John coming back was definitely another one. Yeah, most people knew the resurrections were a thing. Um, so, I guess, after looking at these three answers from Dan and Dave, do you have your own idea about why they decided to cut Lady Stoneheart since these explanations don't really seem to make a lot of sense? Um, I think, so, for example, um, you know, the episode called The Winds of Winter kind of has this thing, like, at Cersei, you know, Everyone's gathering in the set of Baylor for Cersei's trial, and she's like, "We're gonna blow them all up. I'm gonna use like all of the uh, the wildfire and like light everything ablaze." And I don't know if that's necessarily gonna happen in the books, or at least that way. I think that was just a very efficient way to kill off a lot of characters at once. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as the story started to get more centralized, started to be more about like. You know, Danny and John and the the threat from the north. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think cutting this because for the most part, you know, when Jamie and Brienne, um, like they eventually get wrapped up into Lady Stoneheart's story. But before that, it's there aren't really that many characters we notice. Like I know Thoris came back in season seven mm-hmm. um, as as a character that we knew and and everything like that, but I almost feel like it was a way to kind of narrow the scope of stuff that might not have played into the end game of it was this big the real threat is in the north. Mm-hmm. Um so I think, you know, it's going you know, as far as the Riverlands that everything happening, I think that she's gonna play a role, but I think in the larger term of the story, like, you know, George's story just got you know, it's getting so big, like it Yeah. It's you know, massive that. I think for them, it might have just made sense to kind of just cut that out completely. Unfortunately, we did get Jamie and Doran. Yeah, that's staring at a candle for almost all of season five. The trade offs are nowhere near anything. Um, (laughs) Oh, yeah. uh, Which is a shame because I I do really like Doran in the books. Yeah, Um, Doran in the books is great. It's a great plot. The characters are awesome. I love Brienne. And yeah, like Joe Podrick has definitely made me like Podrick more. So. Uh, oh, in the chat. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. One second. Uh, Bernie is apparently very mad at you all that you haven't slammed the like button. So please do. 150 going to put on the silly hat for the rest of the time we got. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. We we only need 11 more likes, yeah, people. Only 11 more. I, I was not aware about the silly hat uh, contingent, but I. Um, so I only, my hat isn't silly, but I <laughs> definitely want to see. Uh, Bernie will kick hat. your ass. Oh, I got nine. There you go. Um, so <laughs> I, I guess my. Uh, I think my ex, I think that kind of works that maybe they asked George, when does Stoneheart die? And he might've said before, during the winds of winter, he does, she doesn't make it into a dream of spring and they might've just gone like, okay, well, we're just not going to do it then because we don't have time to reintroduce and do this whole other plot. But I also Mm -hmm. think one thing that's very telling about what they cut out is specifically how she interacts with Jamie and Brienne and how they didn't really have a plan for them after that, or at least a good plan. And I think it comes down to something's going to happen to Jamie and Brienne that Dan and Dave really hated that when they, when George told them what's going to happen after that, 
They said, we can't do that to Jamie. We can't do that to Brienne. They're like fan favorites. We really like these characters. Like, for instance, Brienne does not get her face not off in the show. That's definitely a thing that happens to her in the books. Um, so I think I think it has to do with them and their interactions with Stoneheart that they that George is planning to take them down a path that they were uncomfortable doing with major characters, much the same way we saw with John, where mm-hmm. they were uncomfortable with making him the undead revenant version of Jon Snow. They just wanted him to be the sadder version of Jon Snow. And I think I think it has to do with that. And that, that's I mean, there I, is, yeah. Sorry, okay. there is also precedent precedent and um, not giving an act an actor whose character got a really gnarly wound. Mm-hmm. Um, that same wound in the show because you have a uh, you know Battle of Blackwater where Tyrion's nose gets blown off. Yeah. Um, like cut off and they decided not to do that because then they would have had to spend the next six seasons putting you know doing the green screen with uh peter dinklage's nose so it looks like it's you know not you know it's it's missing so they just that like slash across its face whereas you know if you had brianne get half her cheek bitten off you would have to put that on gwendolyn christie's face for the next four seasons and which they're not going to do they're starting to, you know, bring in more whites and the Night King was a big thing. Like they need to spend the prosthetics budget on that, I guess. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's I think those I think those kind of like wrap up what the actual answers were. I don't think their answers make much sense otherwise. Like, oh, no, we're going to spoil something for George. Shut up. He spoiled the rest of his books like that is that's nonsense. Be quiet, Dan and Dave. <laughs> uh, so I think for the rest of the time we got here. Oh, at 147. Hey, oh, 148. Oh, my God, my. My thing's lagging out. So we got some questions here from patrons, and, and I thought we'd just go through them, kind of just rapid fire them out. We covered a lot of these already, but um, should be fun. Uh, one here from, um, let's see here, Ramona Zamfir, uh, who already who gave the $10 before the stream started. Uh, she asked, in her life as Catelyn Tully, she was quite a terrible mother for John and mistreated um, Tyrion, who later became her son-in-law. Oh, wait, hang on. I, I, I broke these up wrong. Um, so the question is basically, I think, what will happen to John if he interacts with Lady Stoneheart? What do you think about oh, that? We, we got oh, a hat. We got a silly hat. Hat time. Well, I have to bring, see the video back up. So <laughs> there we go. You guys, you did it. Perfect. We got our silly hats on. Well, I got my silly hat on. Your hat actually looks normal. There you go. If you guys slam it out for another 25, we'll put on the other one. So yeah. What, what do you think? If, do you think Lady Stoneheart will interact with John again? And if she does, what, what do you, how do you think that will go? I don't, I honestly don't know because the, the idea of John going south just seems so foreign, you know, south to like mm. landing just seems so foreign to me right now, even though it does happen in the show. It's just, you know, and despite, um, you know, him being Rhaegar's son, it just seems like, like, why would he? Like a Stark who goes south, it never ends up. Well yeah. for them. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so. I mean, I think it depends what her motives are as far as whether um, she wants, she is trying to eventually honor parts of Rob's will, like that may or may not mention John and make sure that he gets Rob's crown, I guess. Mm-hmm. That could be a possibility. Um, if she has this moment, uh, I think it would have worked better in the show than the books because you see that part of Catelyn um, where she had yeah. Where she expe- expresses regret for like kind of wishing that um, you know John would die and then he got sick as a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I don't believe you know the books don't have have a scene like that. 
So, yeah, show-wise, it would be like, oh, she gave the kiss to, like, him. Mm. Because he still, like, avenged the Starks or something like that. But I'm not sure how that point A gets to point B, in, you know, in the books. Yeah. Also, you guys in the chat, uh, we're doing the Q&A stuff. So if you have any questions we didn't get to, I mean, we're going to answer some here from patrons. Just throw them in the chat or super chats if you want to make sure we answer them, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I... I don't think I don't think I think Catelyn's going to go out of her way, or at least Stormar's going to go out of her way not to meet John if she can avoid it. I mean, she does know that John is the heir to Winterfell. I don't think she's going to tell anybody that. I think she would. Her search for Arya is probably indicating that she wants to put her in Winterfell and essentially just ignore the fact that Rob wrote that will. Uh, maybe like an echo of Cersei tearing up Rob Roberts' will mm-hmm. about uh, about Ned and saying like. I mean, that's what he wanted, but that's not what I care about. Um, I yeah. think she would rather see Arya than John there. Uh, if she meets him again, I don't know. Um, I don't, th- it probably won't be pre- pleasant, but if it happens after John's been resurrected, maybe they actually have like some kind of um, emotional connection they never had before because now they have something in common. They are both the undead. That would be something. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so this is kind of related. Haru28 said, I would like to hear about your take regarding Lady Stoneheart and John becoming King of the North. Um, if John actually does become King in the North while Lisa aren't still alive, basically, do you think she'll try and kill him? Try to remove him from power if she can find one of her other kids? She really doesn't like John. <laughs> I feel like right now her focus is so set, you know, on getting rid of anybody who's, you know, associated with the Red Wedding that I don't think that, you know, John would be a major priority. It's not like, oh, we need to get the Starks back into power. It's we mm. want to avenge them mm. you, you know like, like that sort of thing so maybe if all all of the phrase and the boltons and the lancers are dead maybe she, she would like <laughs> after she crosses so many people off her list all right now we'll get to john <laughs> yeah like she makes Arya's list look, look like a post-it note that's true she has a real actually a connection between her and her daughter long list of people to kill um yeah i think that's right i think the only way she would care or like go out of her way is if she had a claimant like if she got Rick on somehow, or she got her hands on Ari again, and then John was on the throne of the North, and she was basically done with restoring the Riverlands to the Toys, maybe she would do something about it. But I don't know. It's mm, that that's a long way in the future. Basically, like we'd have to get past whatever's going to go on with Jamie and Brienne, and then get to the North, and then John be resurrected, and then John become king before like any of that comes into play. And I don't know if George has. The time for like a Lady yeah. Stoneheart versus John. Um, yeah, like even if the next two books are eleven hundred pages each, that's a lot of ground to cover. Although I do find it interesting that Cat uh, is sort of still running Rob's game plan, where she's been going to like Hagsmire. She's been going almost to the neck. There's there's theories out there that she's been in contact maybe with Howland Reed that maybe she is following some part of his plan to reclaim the North while also taking back the Riverlands at the same time. That's one of those things I, I meant when I was talking earlier about, like, she has other things she's trying to do. One of them is that she still seems to be going after Rob's uh, reinvasion of the North plan, at least in limited ways. She's keeping in contact with the people that were involved, it seems like. Um, let's see here. Question from the chat. Uh, Molly Hyde said, is Lady Stoneheart going to play a, par- a part in the Long Night, or do you think her character will be played out, or I guess dead by then? I tend to think she's not going to make it to the long night. I think I think she's probably going to burn out in the winds of winter. Either somebody kills her or she just like fades away basically, gets her vengeance and decides there's nothing else left for me. 
yeah, I don't, you know, just like it's hard for me to picture John going like south of Winterfell. It's also hard for me to picture uh, Lady Stoneheart leaving the Riverlands because mm-hmm. that's just been the biggest focus of of her plans of vengeance. Right. Or if anything, like she would or they would go go like the Castle Rock to take out the rest of the Lancers, but that's after House Frey's like gone. Mm-hmm. And, that's a big ask. <laughs> yeah. And as far as the Boltons go, like I feel like, you know, Stannis' army is about to, you know, attack them. So even if the Boltons win that battle, Winterfell, they're probably not gonna be as like they'll be weakened uh, if 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 they're not destroyed. Um so she also doesn't have that many men. Like even if yeah. even if they gather up the remaining Tully forces or whoever is left in the Riverlands, they do not have a uh, an army capable of sacking Casterly Rock or marching through the neck and taking out the Boltons. It may end up like Arya, where she's finding that people are being knocked off her list before she can get there. It's like, all right, well, taking out the the Freys and the, the Lancers that are in the Riverlands is already a mountainous task. It's like I think the 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 ambition of her vengeance is pretty wide, but like the ability to get it is probably pretty pretty narrow. I think George is very specific in that way. I mean, like she doesn't even have the whole Brotherhood without Banner. She has half of them. So what's going to happen when she tries to do the same thing? You can assume the public opinion on her will be equally split even before they find out she's an undead Catelyn Stark. Um, let's see here. Ah. Eric Forig, one of my patrons, uh, he said, how do you anticipate the promised Jane Westerling prologue playing out? Who is the POV? Hmm. I'm almost picturing maybe it's somebody who um, is either part of or sworn to the Westerlings. Um, so, like, they're in this position of, you know, switching alliances. Like, they're, and, you know, they got pardoned because, you know, of, like, the, you know, suppose we're all in the mm-hmm. Red Wedding, I believe. And so it's like, this person could have access to like hearing what Jane has to say uh, and they you know if Red Wedding 2.0 happens they could have plans of like this is how it's gonna go mm-hmm. um I was I'm like less concerned like who it is or who the POV is but you know the whole thing about the prologues is the POV character always dies in, in the prologue <laughs> yeah. like what if what if that's Thomas Sevens who uh oh. who ends up killing that we find out He's not a bard. He's actually been undercover this whole time. <sighs> that could be interesting. Although that, that is one thing about the Red Wedding 2.0 is a lot of people assume it's going to happen, but it could be equally horrible if it if they like the plan falls apart as they get closer and closer to it. And like mm-hmm. the Brotherhood dies out trying to make this happen and they can't. That'd or be, that'd Tom's be... the POV character and they find out that he's a spy. <gasps> spy for the Lannisters. Spying on everybody. Oh, no, spy for the, oh, oh, oh the yeah, I see. I got you. They find out he's a spy for the Brotherhood. Yeah. yeah. That could be it. Um, there's a there's a lot of possibilities with the Jane Westerling prologue. A lot of I've heard the idea that this will be Chekhov's wolf pack. That Nymeria is going to lead the wolves and essentially attack them as Arya has be, essentially exercised greater control over Nymeria. Um, I don't know. That seems like a very tactical move for them, though. So I would, if it happens, I expect it would be like them just being hungry and not like specifically Arya trying to make it happen. But yeah. um. That that is something. George has said he's going to do something with that massive wolf pack that Nymeria leads. Like it's like it's like a hundred something wolves at this point. It's a massive number, so they could take on a small group of people if they wanted to. Um, the other one that I think I talked about this earlier, the Brotherhood Without Banners, may be there to rescue Jane Westerling for 
Stoneheart to figure out if she's pregnant or maybe just mm-hmm. to protect her. Maybe there's some lingering feelings. She didn't particularly like Jane Westerling, but Rob loved her, so maybe that yeah. would be a motivating factor for West for uh, Stoneheart. The POV, the most interesting one I've heard is um oh god, what's his name? Hang on, the the executioner. That's the the, the mute one. Ellen Payne. Ellen Payne. Some people have wondered if it'll be Ellen Payne, considering George has put a lot of time of Jamie just talking to him mm-hmm. and like having all this information he's not supposed to have. So that would be an interesting one. But yeah, he's not. A, he's not. It doesn't have to be someone important. I think that's the important part of the prologues and the epilogues. I mean, you think about who they are. It's like Merritt Frey and Pate and Chet, and it's like a lot of these are really minor characters that you would, if you had to do a quiz, you wouldn't be able to name. So. <laughs> It just has to be the person in the right place rather than an important character seeing this. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Amy Blackfire from the patron Slack. She said, what is George doing with these undead characters like Lady Stoneheart and Barrack? Is he making a commentary on revenge, the value of life or something else? That's a deep one, Amy. Uh, what is he doing? Um, in a lot of his stories, he has undead characters that regret it. Like, Especially in A Song of Ice and Fire, there is no undead character who's like, wow, this is awesome. The House of the Undying seem pretty unhappy with what's going on with them. Or at least they're like, they're not psyched about it. They're a bunch of weird corpses sitting around a, uh, a blue heart and they can't really do anything with their undeath. Bloodraven seems pretty unhappy with it. Beric and Stoneheart are both unhappy with it. So I think it's, I think it's sort of a, um, a commentary on sort of the wish that people have that if you could come back from the dead, what it would be like? And George is like, saying over and over and over again that you would not want to do it even if you could. Yeah, and and you also have this idea that's building up that, and I think, you know, Arya might have to face that, you know, like, revenge isn't all it's cracked up to be. Mm-hmm. You know, not necessarily she has a problem with killing people because she doesn't seem to have that problem. It's just more of, this has been her soul or one of her main motivations for a very long time, and there's going to be, like, what the hell do I do with my life after this? <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm I'm still a teenager. Everyone I want dead is dead. And I'm this world is not built for me in this world. And I'm not built for this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, she's really something else at this point. If she wants to keep living, it's going to be forging her own path in a way that is totally unused to that. She's not ready for nobody's ready for. Like, um, even Beric, his life totally turned on end. Like, he was a, a lord of a castle. He was set to be married to a member of House Dane, and that's over. That's just, just gone. So, even if, the, like, the, his way of saying, like, oh, Catelyn Stark is not Lady Stoneheart, it's, it works in different ways. It's like, I think, the, I think he also really hates, for some reason, the Lord of the Rings version, where undeath means nothing. He really mm-hmm. wants it to hurt. I, I, I wonder if that has to do with, um... Well, this is probably a bad time to go into that, and I'll just say briefly the fact that George is not a very religious person, and that a lot of the times people that think undeath is great usually have religious ideas about it. And he he has had his characters come back and essentially say, like, there's nothing on the other side. It's just, like, endless blackness, so it could be something along those lines, but, you know. Um, see here. Let's grab another question from the chat. Just a few more minutes, and then we'll we'll get out of here. Um... Uh, I know, uh, so Sophie B. Powerhouse mentioned uh, she thinks the POV for the Winds of Winter prologue might be Jane Westerling's mother. Do you have thoughts about that? I think it's her father that's going with her. I think I I was reading about that this morning. Um, The father would also be interesting. 
uh, Sybil Spicer, I think is her name. Um, I'm not sure where she is, but you know, it could be. If it would be um, seeing her carefully laid plans for Jane and with the Lannisters coming, falling down around her, that could be something pretty horrible. Mm-hmm. Oh, a uh, question here from Guilty Undertaker. Like Lady Stoneheart, Melisandre doesn't need to eat or sleep. She's also very old. Could Melisandre be a fire white as well? Hmm. I've heard this one before. It's the she she hates sleeping, although she can. She barely needs to eat. She feels something. She calls it Relor's fire in her veins, which sounds like what happened when Stoneheart got revived by Beric. Thoro said there was like a transfer of life fire or something like that. I mean, I don't think it's out of the question. That's what's going on. How long would a fire white be able to live? Like indefinitely, right? And we know that, like the at least in the show, the necklace is a glamour mm-hmm. of sorts. And she's this very old wizen woman who is like, you know what? I am I am just tired and I need to go to bed. <laughs> go to bed. Falls over and dies. <laughs> I did actually like that ending for Melisandre where she just walks out and dies with her purpose done. Like the other question of of if she, whether or not she's you know a fire white of her own is if she rec- resurrects John as you know largely seems like it'll be you know be the case does that mean she would die after that i don't know because you were talking about earlier like barrack seems like he has nothing going on but melisandre's description of her own relationship to the fire inside of her it's like it's overwhelming it's there's too much mm-hmm. so if we're going with the idea that like you have a bottle inside of you of life fire and how much you give out to resurrect somebody it seems like melisandre's is overflowing so i think she'd probably stay alive and george has said that she's going to have at least two or three POVs, I think. Uh, something that Bryn Beefish wrote about recently. So, I, I don't know. It seems like Melisandre is going to make it to the end game. At least so she can see how wrong she is about everything. George yeah. seems to be very serious about making sure Mel at some point recognizes that Stannis is the wrong guy and to find her real purpose. Resurrecting John would work in that way. Like, if she's like, oh, John's Azor High, I have to resurrect him. Now my purpose is done. I don't know if that's only thing she's gonna do basically but you never know um let's see here um oh oh we already talked about the red wedding 2.0 we already did that one um sorry eric already answered your question um oh uh, it's right here from the top maybe just to finish off with this one because it's a kind of a broad question ramona zamphir says how do you think lady stoneheart's arc will go full circle so how do you think it ends I like the idea of we're talking full circle that she passes that the fire that's keeping her alive right now to someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it would be interesting if you know it showed that she eventually you know evolves to you know if it ended up being a character that she you know according to her ri- her rigid morals she would want dead. Like if it was Jamie, for example. I mean, I don't know what the situation would be that Jamie would need like the kiss of life or anything like that, but um, that would be. A, an instance of that or if she was able to give that to one of her kids um you know whether it's like aria or something like that um or she's just able to see like the the house stark isn't dead Mm. because it does seem like that because most of them just don't know that anybody's around it's like santa hasn't seen any any other starks since uh the first book uh aria same Mm. same thing uh john's been up north since like pretty much the very beginning and bran is you know beyond the wall and he's like with the three-eyed raven and then reckon is presumably on skagos i i I feel like that's my own hand of canon even if that's not the case or 
I believe that's suggested to Davos that that's where he's been uh, hanging out. That's at least where uh, where Shaggy Dog is. Yeah, we've seen that through the hanging out the unicorns. Yeah, he's seen. We saw Shaggy Dog eating a one horned goat, which people think is a unicorn. So he's probably actually on Skakos. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I wonder if it will be a callback. We haven't talked about him at all, but Bran and mm-hmm. that one of cat like her first instance of like pseudo undeath was after Bran fell and she like stayed up for days on end which we know she's doing now she defended him by taking the um the cat's paw dagger to the hand and basically almost killed herself trying to keep him alive and i wonder if george is planning some sort of idea of coming back where that's going to happen again where stoneheart will maybe interact with Bran, but it could be any of her kids and finds herself in a situation where she sacrifices herself for them rather and sort of gives up on the vengeance. It would be interesting if George actually presented it in a way that she had a choice between vengeance and helping out one of her surviving kids and which one she goes for, considering she's pretty much just going all in on the vengeance at this point. I don't know how she would interact with Bran, but or most likely would be Sansa at this point, but any one of them would be, I think it would be a nice way to tie it up if George had her go back to that role, like reclaim that last little part of herself again. Yeah. I I feel like it would make sense if like one of the kids was involved because that was just such a big part of Catelyn's identity Mm -hmm. was her love and like how much she cared about and made sure that they could all like function in the world, especially you know, the very likely that most of them would end up going south for whatever reason. You know, like if Rob was going to take over Winterfell and then, you know, Bran would maybe be a knight up there and then the other three could be used for like more advantageous marriages mm. in other places. Um, obviously it didn't happen, but I think in her idealized like view and also that probably all would have happened several decades from now, you know, when Ned died of old age, which we also know didn't happen. Yeah, about that one. <laughs> um, a couple of good suggestions from the chat. Uh, Lemmy B says making peace with John. That would be something. That'd be mm-hmm. an interesting one. Um, also, Sasuke says uh, Lady Stone hard to figure out everything Peter did to ruin her family and then having that be the end of her story. I think any of those would work. Um, something calling back to her a game of thrones plot would be interesting i don't think she's figured out Littlefinger's role but if she meets sansa she will mm-hmm. sansa hasn't pieced it together but if she if sansa tells lady stoneheart what she's seen i i don't think it will take stoneheart long at this point where she has become so um focused yeah. not only on vengeance but also that she's essentially trusting no one mm-hmm. that that she would see through Littlefinger instantly in a way she didn't when she was Catelyn Stark. I mean, at the very least that we know, or Sansa knows that um, Littlefinger loves Catelyn and then killed Lysa, yeah. Uh, Lysa, yeah. So that could be something. Any of those would work. I, I would be happy with any of those. Um, some sort of a full circle. I think it would still have to, maybe it would be with Sansa because Sansa and Catelyn are so heavily linked. Maybe that would be the one George would choose, and it's the most likely at this point. But yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's it for the stream today. Um, Michelle, why don't you tell people where they can find you, what you have coming up, all the plugs. Yeah, uh, so you can follow me on Twitter at Michelle. Uh, it's M-I-C-H-E-J-A-W. Uh, I, I'm not on YouTube. I mean, I technically am, 
um, right now yeah. comment um <laughs> but yeah i don't really post anything on there no videos um i'm a little bit of a hermit <laughs> and um yeah you can find my work at the daily dot um i'm not really writing about game of thrones too much these days i'm covering the new york film festival so if you like cinema uh check out there and i just wrapped up a newsletter about the leftovers um and that is uh you can find that on my at the top of my twitter account if you want to like go back and read all of those um you know it has a nice like archive at the very top and i think that's it <laughs> thank okay. you for having me this was a lot yeah. of fun it was a lot of fun it was great having you michelle um so what's coming up for me is um I'm going to be coming out with the dual videos about what is the five-year gap and then also who is the tattered prince. Um, streaming, obviously, on every Saturday, well, except when I'm working, I get always at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, like today. Uh, on Also, I stream, oh, did, I think I said that wrong, streaming on Saturdays at 2 p.m. And then also on Tuesdays at 7 p.m., I play uh, different video games, mostly been uh, Crusader Kings 3 for the time being because, of course, I do. They haven't come out with the Game of Thrones mod yet, but they will at some point. Um, and if you want to uh, support the stream, again, hit the like button if you haven't already. Leave a comment afterwards. Subscribe. Hit the bell buttons. Um, follow me on Twitter or wherever. And um, obviously, patreon.com slash Magician, where you can get access to... I mean, I mean obviously, um, patrons, they, get to, they ask questions and I answer them on stream. They also get access to exclusive videos, the patron Slack, all that other kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so that's about it. I'll see you guys next Saturday. I think, I don't think I'm working, so I think I'll be there. And, uh, Tuesday if you like watching Crusader Kings 3. So, thanks everybody. Have a good weekend.